Saturday, September 23rd, 2023. BK here. That's right. Yet another week in a row. It is about 12.05 p.m. Coming at you from San Diego, of course. Please follow me on social media. Check out that Instagram at BKActual and Twitter for breaking news throughout the week. At BravoKiloActual. Let's go ahead and get right into it, guys. And I thought I'd start. I'm fascinated with this story. Let's go to Canada, where there's been a bit of a diplomatic row over a killing of a Sikh leader in Canada, and now it's really thrown the two countries against each other. Before I get into that part of it, though, let me uh, tell you what happened. This is about Hardeep Singh Najjar, and he is the Sikh leader who was shot and killed. And this was actually, uh, the, the killing itself was actually in June, and it was outside a Sikh temple in Surrey, British Columbia. So... What happened was, this the Sikh temple leader is apparently wanted as a terrorist by India. I'll get into that more in a second. And he was, uh, he was leaving this temple in Vancouver, and he was right by the parking lot's exit when, according to temple officials who've watched the security video, a white vehicle suddenly blocked him in, and then witnesses say they heard a burst of automatic gunfire which is significant, and saw two hooded men running away from Najjar's uh, pickup. And the uh, witnesses did find he was, um, he was dead almost instantly. And it was kind of a, this very violent professional-style killing. And now Prime Minister Justin Blackface Trudeau of Canada has branded these gunmen as, quote, agents, end quote, of the Indian government. Uh, they fired, these uh, these gunmen fired anywhere from between 30 and 50 shots at their victim. And apparently supporting Canada's charge that India itself, the country of India was involved, is intelligence, including, quote, communications involving Indian officials themselves, including Indian diplomats present in Canada, end quote. And that was according to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, a Canadian government official who asked to remain anonymous he did not exactly confirm that CBC report, but he said the government would not ask for any edits to it. So obviously India has denied all of these charges. Now the Canadian government is saying that the killing was orchestrated by the Indian government, which had labeled Najjar, who again is a Canadian citizen. He's a prominent advocate for Sikh separatism in India, a terrorist in 2020 and called for his arrest. Um, the CBC went on to say, by the way, the CBC is owned by the federal government of Canada. They did report that when pressed behind closed doors, no Indian official has denied the allegation 
at the core of this case, that there is evidence to suggest Indian government involvement in the assassination of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil. Um, so what is uh, what else is going on about this? Canadian government is not releasing details of the intelligence they have. But Canada is a member of the so-called Five Eyes. Have you guys ever heard of the Five Eyes organization? That's like an intelligence alliance. And they share intel information. And it, it, the Five Eyes, the so-called Five Eyes, are Canada, the United States, Britain, Australia, and New Zealand. Uh, so a little bit about Najjar. He was 45 when he was killed. He moved to Canada in 1997 after living through more than a decade of deadly conflicts between the Indian government and the Sikh separatists in India. And he was one of many thousands and thousands of Sikhs to flee India for Canada, which is now home to about 770,000 Sikhs. That is the largest Sikh community outside of India. And he had long championed the creation of an independent Sikh homeland, and he wanted it carved out of India's Punjab region that would be called Khalistan. And this advocacy he had came to a new level like he was just a you know he was a working guy he owned like a plumbing company or something ran a plumbing business but he did rise to become the president of this temple called the guru nanak sikh gudwara temple this is the oldest largest and most politically powerful of the dozen or so sikh temples in this town of surrey and he used that temple as a platform from which to openly criticize the Hindu-led Indian government's treatment of their Sikh minority. So that's when, in 2020, the Indian government declared him a, a terrorist and accused him of plotting an attack in India and of leading a terrorist group. Um, so yeah, I'm just scrolling down here. It's got kind of a play-by-play -play of the entire killing. But it's uh, really grown to new heights here. Before I get into the governments themselves... Uh, let me just, I have one more tab on here. And apparently when he took over the leadership of the temple in 2019, that really made the temple become a far more political organization rather than a religious one. Right. And like I just said, he was like, you know, using that pulpit to call for change in India. Um, so Trudeau, remember he made that allegation and he's not putting forth the intelligence, uh, but this is leading for leading to expulsions of senior diplomats. Yeah, Trudeau was in New York on Thursday for the UN General Assembly. You guys saw that earlier this week, and he said he could not talk about the evidence behind his accusations. But he did say, when you have credible reason to believe that this is what happened, you cannot shrug it off. Uh, let me see what else about the temple and everything else here i mean that's kind of the the gist of all of this uh, here's a little bit more history about what was going on in india though in 1984 indian soldiers occupied one of the holiest sikh places of worship in india called the golden temple to remove militants after sikh separatists had committed massacres of hindus in punjab that's the state where the sikhs are a minor uh, majority and hundreds of sikhs were killed and then thousands more were also killed after the prime minister at the time, Indira Gandhi, was assassinated. And you remember that because her two Sikh body, uh, her two bodyguards were Sikhs themselves. So that you know you just threw gasoline on the fire there. Yeah. So uh, fascinating. Now, as far as diplomacy, 
India has now suspended all visas for Canadians. And this article, uh, this latest is uh, September, as of September 21st, just a couple days ago. And the, they're trying to like hide behind a technical and security issue. The Indian Foreign Ministry spokesman said that the country's high commission and consulates in Canada were, quote, temporarily unable, end quote, to process visas because of safety threats. Hmm. So, yeah, once Trudeau kind of accused the Indian government, um, they kind of lashed back out. As a matter of fact, they accused Canada of harboring terrorists who are seeking to carve that Sikh homeland out of India's territory. So then India moved to expel a high-ranking Canadian diplomat from New Delhi. Canada had expelled an Indian diplomat described as the head of New Delhi's intelligence agency in Canada the day before. I don't know. Why would you allow? Why would you allow the head of uh, New Delhi's intelligence agency to just hang out in Canada? I don't get that. And then on Thursday, that same spokesman for India signaled that more Canadian diplomats could soon leave India. He is trying to make it out like, uh, well, this is about parity uh, because there's a lot more Canadians in India than Indians in Canada. So, yeah, that's where we are, and um, I'm fascinated by this. You know, this has happened occasionally between countries before, so we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens, but who knows where these terrorists are. So far, I don't, uh, there's, they haven't caught them, so we'll see if they catch up to them. Uh, and then just a side note on India, as long as I'm on India, India is going to reserve one-third of parliamentary seats for women. How about that? That happened on Thursday when they passed this legislation. Uh, that would be in the lower house of parliament and in state legislatures. Now, those new rules are not going to apply to next year's national elections, but it's supposed to be something like that. So the legislation was passed by the upper and lower houses of the parliament after two days of deliberation. The bill does require approval from at least half of the country's 28 state legislatures before it becomes law. And then right after it becomes law, apparently it comes into force. Um, they say this is virtually guaranteed because it did bat pass both of those houses. Uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi seemed to be for it. He described the laws passing in the lower house of parliament as, quote, a golden moment of India's parliamentary journey, end quote. That's a spot on impression. Now that, because it, I, I mentioned it won't, it will only apply to the lower house, not the upper house, because the upper house of India's parliament uh, those are people that are chosen by members of the state legislatures. Yeah, and some people, of course, are saying, well, why are we waiting? Uh, why is it not applicable to the next election? This should go into, uh, uh, it could go into force immediately. About half of India's 950 million registered voters are women. 950 million, dude. But they only make up about 15% of lawmakers in parliament and just 10% of lawmakers in the state legislatures. By the way, in case you're wondering, across the world, the overall share of parliamentary seats occupied by women is 26%. All right. Well, I don't know. Like, I, I hate, I always hate hard quotas. It should be up to the people to vote for who want. But hey, it's, you know, it's their country. They can do whatever they want. So there's your India and Canada updates. Let's go. Haven't talked about this place in a while. Let's go to our old uh, stomping grounds, Iraq. Where? 
A drone attack has killed three counter-terrorist fighters in the northern region of Iraq, known as Kurdistan. And this drone struck an elite Iraqi Kurdish security force. I mean, this is unusual because most drone attacks up in Kurdistan are going after ISIS, other insurgent groups. But yeah, it says uh, three task force members were also wounded in the attack. Hmm. I don't know if... I don't know if they mean the Kurdistan task force or if that's implying that we're over there somewhere. Um, where was this? This was at some airport. Yeah, it was a little, little airfield uh, near uh, Sulaymaniyah. Some of you guys might know that. Some of you former contractors. A good old Suli. You guys remember that place? Yeah. So as far as suspects, well, we're not sure. Turkey... And more recently, Iran have targeted those Kurdish militants from their countries who shelter in Iraq's Kurdistan region. So it's hard to say. Uh, This airport was mostly used by small agricultural planes. However, it was also recently repurposed to be used as a training camp for Kurdish counterterrorism forces. Now, those forces were focused primarily on ISIS fighters, the Islamic State, in recent years. But there's other Islamic militant groups now that are moving around Iraq's border, which is pretty wide open, with Iran and Turkey. Now, the Iraqi government, they said on Tuesday that the drone attack was launched by Turkey. So they seem to be fairly confident. Kurdish leaders uh, were a bit more upset with their rhetoric. As a matter of fact, the president of the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, that's one of the two main political parties in Kurdistan and the dominant one in Sulaymaniyah, Uh, He said, quote, this criminal act is an open trespassing of the border of the Kurdistan region uh, and of Iraq and is part of the conspiracy aimed at disturbing the peace and stability of the Kurdistan region, end quote. Turkey has been pretty aggressive in using drone attacks to target an insurgent Turkish Kurdish group, which you might have heard this acronym before, the PKK. And Turkey does regularly bomb sites in Iraqi Kurdistan. As a matter of fact, last April... A similar drone attack happened near the international airport in Suli, but there were no casualties. Turkey denied responsibility for that attack as well. Uh, the As far as numbers here, the International Crisis Group, some think tank, they documented a rising number of attacks by Turkey on PKK militants inside Iraq between 2018 and 2022. That number topped 300 attacks in 2022. If you didn't know, Turkey's been fighting for decades against the PKK because the PKK uh, undertook an insurgency first within Turkey and then after most of its fighters fled to Iraq, staged attacks from there. And by the way, the United States and the European Union do consider the PKK a terrorist organization. So ostensibly, they're not our allies up there. But you know how that went during the fight for ISIS. It's like, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type thing. Now, a little bit more about that region. Let's also talk about Armenia and Azerbaijan. You guys remember this was kicking off about a year or so ago. And it's doing it again. Azerbaijan has taken military control of an Armenian enclave inside their territory after two days of fighting. Now, this is, you know, they they fought a couple wars. There's been two wars between the two countries since the collapse of the Soviet Union. 
And this is uh, the South Caucasus region. And it's a significant piece of property because that's been kind of the crossroads of like where Russia and Turkey and the EU and all this stuff kind of meet with trade and economics and everything else. And there's been decades of violence and geopolitical rivalry between those two former Soviet republics. Remember this enclave is called, you guys, you listeners might remember this, Nagorno-Karabakh. And that does lie, that area lies within Azerbaijan's internationally recognized borders. And it is home to tens of thousands of ethnic Armenians. Uh, so, yeah, okay, yeah, but it was more than a few years ago. They had that 44-day war back in 2020. And Moscow actually helped broker that ceasefire. But, of course, Moscow is a little bit busy these days. Uh, so just a brief history about this. I know some of this is a little dry, but, you know, it's pretty interesting as far as the history. As the Soviet Union was collapsing, Nagorno-Karabakh, that enclave, declared its independence with the intention of reunifying with Armenia because they're filled with Armenians, right? And that was one cause of the war that followed almost immediately after the collapse. Tens of thousands of people were killed in that war. A ceasefire in 1994 left Armenia in control of the territory and seven surrounding districts. And then that second one, which we're all more familiar with, erupted in 2020. This time, Azerbaijan, using Turkish and Israeli attack drones, recaptured much of the territory and its surroundings. And Russia has been a longtime protector of Armenia. They brokered that ceasefire and they deployed about 2,000 peacekeepers to the region. Uh, so let me see here. So what happened in this latest one? Well, on September 19th, Azerbaijan's defense ministry described them using their forces as quote, local anti-terrorist end quote operations saying they were using precision weapons to target what they said were Armenian firing points and other military facilities in the area. And by the end of September 20th, the separatist authorities reported at least 200 people had died because of the hostilities, including 10 civilians. The rest were army military members. Can't verify those numbers immediately. And uh, then the next day, uh, this, that same day, Azerbaijan said they would halt the operation because the separatist government had agreed that their forces would lay down their arms and withdraw from the battle positions. At the same time, the Armenian separatist government issued their own statement. They said, no, 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 no. We've accepted a uh, we accepted a Russian brokered ceasefire after Azerbaijani forces managed to break through Armenian positions. So we'll see what happens here, and uh, I'm sure they'll be back to killing each other off over their chunk of land in no time. Very good. Let's keep going to Indonesia. Uh, put a, you put you give me this is this is uh, clickbait for the podcast guys an international story with the word TikTok in the headline you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do it almost every time and indeed that's what we have headline new TikTok star sentenced to prison after eating pork on camera <laughs> uh, you know I know you want clicks but if you know you're gonna get thrown in the dungeon it, is it really worth it I guess I mean you have a story in the New York Times. This is an influencer from Indonesia, and her name, it is a female, her name is Lina Lutfiawati. And yeah, she uh, she's 33 years old, 
And she used to make videos of her eating all kinds of meals, like, you know, fish, crab, shit like that. But she had, she had millions of fans on TikTok. So this is a high-profile TikTok account. But when she ate pork rinds on camera in March, her TikTok video of the meal drew the attention of a different audience, Indonesia's top Muslim clerical body known as the Ulema Council. So on Tuesday... They scooped her up. She was sentenced to two years in prison and fined the equivalent of $16,000 U.S. for blasphemy. Remember, eating or even touching pigs is considered forbidden in Indonesia, which, of course, is the world's most populous Muslim nation. Oh, then they don't like this. Before she began, before she began eating, she said, quote, Bismillah, end quote, which is Arabic for, quote, in the name of Allah, end quote. Yeah, not great, dude. Indonesia has 275 million people. 90% of them are Muslim. And, you know, Indonesia is considered a democracy, but these blasphemy laws under which she was convicted, they've been used a long, long time. Uh, Those blasphemy laws apply to those who deviate from the central tenets of this country's six official religions. Uh, the, The six would be Islam, Protestantism, Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism, I'm sorry, Buddhism and Confucianism. And blasphemy convictions rose nearly 2000s and have continued under the president, my man, one of my favorite world leader names, Joko Widodo, who took office in 2014 uh, as ascendant Islamic conservatives were pushing these hardline policies. Uh, there's, there's been a couple of these. There was a Christian guy named Basuki Pernama. He, at the time, was governor of Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia. He was sentenced to two years in 2017 for blasphemy after critics accused him of insulting the Koran on the campaign trail. A a year later, a Buddhist woman who had complained about the volume of a mosque loudspeaker near her home was sentenced to 18 months. God. It's tough over there in those countries, man. Uh, Let's see. Just looking out here. Yeah, and she even said this chick, Ms. Alina, who lives in Jakarta, by the way, uh, she, after she ate the pork rinds, she even said, like, uh, no, nah, this isn't really for me. It's not so special. But now she's getting two years in the pen. So I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, let's uh, go to... I haven't talked about this place in a while either. Let's go to Somalia. There has been a VBID. Vehicle-borne improvised explosive device. There's been a truck bomb. Yes, in the central Somali town of Belladwane. And the death toll has risen to 18 people. Yeah, this truck bomb targeted a security checkpoint in the residential area, and there's been uh, also 40 people wounded. Earlier, the death toll was only about 10, but it has grown since. They are blaming... Al-Qaeda-linked Al-Shabaab armed fighters. Pretty gnarly truck bomb, dude. They said, like, destroyed entire buildings. And nobody has claimed responsibility. But this town where it was in has recently witnessed battles between the military and Al-Shabaab. And by the way, Al-Shabaab has increased attacks since Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed, who was elected for a second term last year, declared an all-out war on the group. And Al-Shabaab does want to overthrow that government in Mogadishu. 
Meanwhile, the government uh, said they killed dozens of fighters in the state of Galmudug. So, yeah, it continues. No rest in Somalia. Nothing's ever going to change in that country. Who are we kidding? Uh, let's keep going. Why don't... Actually, I want to go right to this. And let's come back to the U.S. for a minute and do a little political stuff. Let's talk about Senator Robert Menendez of New Jersey. He has been indicted for bribery, and it's juicy. Got some juicy details. And they're not only accusing Senator Robert Menendez, but also his wife, Nadine, who, I may add, likes to apparently uh, dress uh, provocatively. In many of the, every photo I see, she's wearing a very low-cut top, and she is quite buxom. So if you guys are into that uh, whole milfy buxom look, uh, go check her out. But, yeah, uh, this is like, you know, he's been accused of corruption before also. But this was a 39-page indictment. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, before I get into the details, I want to go ahead and play, actually, I'm just pl- I'm going to play the Department of Justice where they are announcing these charges and basically laying out the case for him. Uh, and this is all about his, uh, he wants to benefit the government of Egypt. So let's hear what the prosecutor says. Today I'm announcing that my office has obtained a three-count indictment charging Senator Robert Menendez, his wife Nadine Menendez, and three New Jersey businessmen, while Hanna, Jose Uribe, and Fred Davies for bribery offenses. The investigation that led to these charges has been run out of the Southern District of New York. The indictment alleges that between 2018 and 2022, Senator Menendez, the senior U.S. Senator from New Jersey, and the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and his wife Nadine Menendez, engaged in a corrupt relationship with Hanna, Uribe, and Davies. The indictment alleges that through that relationship, the senator and his wife accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes in exchange for Senator Menendez using his power and influence to protect and to enrich those businessmen and to benefit the government of Egypt. The indictment alleges that Hanna, Uribe, and Davies provided bribes in the form of cash, gold, home mortgage payments, a low-show or a no-show job for Nadine Menendez, a Mercedes-Benz, and other things of value to the senator and his wife. All right. Yeah, that's why it's so juicy. They've got gold bars involved. I love And this is kind of, it was kind of weird because it's, it seems like the wife really was the person who got him involved in this. So this wife, Nadine, her uh, maiden name is Nadine Arslanian. And uh, he started dating her back in January of 2018. And that was, by the way, right after he had won that big legal victory because he was already on trial for federal bribery. And that ended in a hung jury. And the U.S. Justice Department said they're not going to seek a new trial. So he was crowing about that. He's probably feeling his oats, right? He meets this, like, milfy buxom chick. And uh, I, I, I'm wondering if she herself is Egyptian? Maybe. But what happened was... She introduced him to one of her longtime friends. You heard the name, Weil Hanna, an Egyptian-American businessman in New Jersey. And she was eager, they say, to connect her new guy, Menendez, with Hanna's high-level connections in the Egyptian government. And so this started, that's how it started. And it went on for four years. And prosecutors described this as like this widespread corruption scheme it involved the halal meat industry, American military aid to Egypt, the appointment of a top New Jersey law enforcement official, 
And and ba- the big one is they're accusing Menendez, who's 69 years old, by the way, of abusing his power to influence arms sales to Egypt and to attempt to interfere with criminal investigations into Mr. Hanna. So when the FBI, I guess they showed up at his house. This the F, I don't know how they kept this quiet, but the FBI apparently searched his house last year in New Jersey. Federal agents found more than $480,000 in cash stuffed throughout the house in envelopes and in the pockets of jackets that were embroidered with the senator's name. Also inside the home was more than $100,000 worth of gold bars. And this isn't good. Some of them had unique serial numbers that traced right back to Mr. Hanna. And then you heard him, uh, they also had a Mercedes Benz. Imagine being this stupid over a dumb car. It's a lot of cash, though. Uh, Ms. Menendez, by the way, is 56. And she, uh, the New York Times is describing the indictment, which is 39 pages long. You guys can check it out if you want. As, like, being motivated by just massive greed of money. As a matter of fact, the Ms. Menendez often bugged her associates for more bribe money. And she would always talk about her husband's influence. She once sent a news article to Hannah about $2.5 billion of military sales to Egypt and writing, quote, Bob had to sign off on this, end quote. And the business associates around Hannah seemed to find more and more ways to get what they needed from Menendez as long as they could deliver the cash. They also got two exercise machines and an air purifier. Of course, Menendez is denying everything. Um, Oh, this is funny. You know what? In 2018, remember how she's much younger, right? She's 56. He's what? What did I say? 69? Yeah, 69. And um, apparently she was unemployed when she met him. (laughs) God. Oh, men are all the same, dude. Just show up in that short dress, the heels, and the big rack, and we don't care about anything else that you may or may not have accomplished. That's all you need, ladies. It's so easy being a woman. I know. Please don't inundate me with it. But you, even you women know I'm a little right. I mean, as long as you're hot. That is your main, like, and I'm not saying this is right or not, but I'm saying in the eyes of many men, uh, your, your, your first asset, the one they're going to notice right off the bat is how you look. And we all know that's true. And and you could argue the same is true for men, but men can also be ugly. But if they're a baller, successful businessman, you know, they can they can pull it in, if you know what I mean. But yeah, unemployed, dude. Let's see here. Uh, anything else about here? Uh, oh, Hannah, this, this is where the fake job comes in. Because she was unemployed, Hannah agreed to put Menend- Ms. Menendez on the payroll of his halal meat company, if Bob Menendez, the senator, could promise to help facilitate more sales of military equipment to Egypt. And that was a big deal to the Egyptian government at the time because the U.S. State Department had been withholding some military aid because they were having that whole human rights problem over in Egypt. And at the time, Menendez, the Bob and the senator, was the ranking member and soon-to-be chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So he had quite a lot of uh, influence over this. Oh, this is great. I'm looking at pictures of the gold bars. They just have piles of cash, dude. Like, these guys are so fucking dumb. It doesn't even occur to them, like, maybe we shouldn't have 500 grand in cash and 600 grand in cash and gold bars sitting around the house while we're criming in case somebody looks into it. 
Hmm. I'm, this is I could go on and on about this. It's such it's such comedy gold. I I encourage you guys to go read the whole thing if you want to. Uh, if you want all the gory details, Google this headline: Gold bullion and halal meat inside the Menendez investigation. That's fantastic. Yeah, I have one more tab on here. Anything else? It's just more about Egypt. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and the funny thing was the U.S. in 2017, they only cut a tiny amount of aid. Let me see. I have one more. T I have another tab on here about how much the aid was. Oh, they, they denied them only ninety-six million dollars in aid. At, what is that? Out of like billions? Yeah. So it wasn't even that much. And that was again over Egypt's human rights record. And apparently that was shocking to Cairo. They were like, "What? We do what we want here." Uh, since the late nineteen. Here we go. In the, since the late nineteen seventies. Washington has sent Cairo up to $1.3 billion each year. And that was all part of the old Camp David Accords. Remember when Egypt and Israel and all the other uh, countries kind of came to a cautious understanding and truce? Those were the Camp David Accords. And that's why we agreed to send them lots of money. And by the way, a lot of that money paid for Egypt's huge military arsenal. <laughs> This, this this new tab also has another picture of Nadine Menendez, and again, she's wearing this uh, dress, which shows the ample cleavage. She she really likes showing those bad boys off. That's great. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, everybody, of course, is like, and then uh, I had to laugh because on Twitter, like, all I did was repost the uh, the retweet the speech from the prosecutor that I just played, and some guy like right away is like. Oh, I guess the DOJ is impartial now, huh? Because, you know, all the Trump people, I'm like, bro, all I did was repost something. I'm not making a common comment either way. Fucking Twitter, dude. X, whatever. Let's go on to, let's see here. Well, let's go to Brazil really quick. This is a funny story. Apparently, a male, a group of male Brazilian medical students perform some sort of group masturbation on a woman's volleyball court after their college's team beat their rivals. Male members of the Santo Amaro University team, they call it futsal team. Were they playing volleyball? It's, I'm looking at Daily Mail here. Uh, it was some kind of woman's match. I don't know if it was a volleyball match or not. It says, uh, yeah, it just says uh, futsal team. F-U-T-S-A-L. This took place actually back in April, but the footage was made public for the first time last week. And yeah, they were initially spotted on the sidelines with their pants lowered to their ankles as the school's team started to celebrate their volleyball championship victory. Okay, it was volleyball. The nude men, you can find this online, then rushed the court all at once as they paraded around the gym as they touched their genitals. What are you thinking, dude? Yeah, I'm looking at still for the, the genitals are blurred out. But yeah, there's running around. Got the pants pulled down. Everything else. They, uh, the university announced that they had expelled six students Monday. These were medical students? Damn, even the president got involved. President Luis Inacio Lula da Silva. They just call him Lula over there. Remember, he also was at New York attending the General Assembly of the U.N., and, uh, yeah, was not happy. Uh, so, 
they are looking to expel even more of them, but uh, I, I, I urge you guys to go watch the footage because it's kind of comical. Let's go to this one. State Department contractor has been accused of stealing satellite imagery of Africa. And this was about that. Uh, remember, I, I talked about this last week. It was the Ethiopian thing. And I was like, who spies for Ethiopia? But we have some more detail on it now. These were classified documents, which included satellite imagery and other sensitive information about military activities in Africa. So the uh, criminal complaint was just un unsealed this week. That's why we know more. Uh, and yes, I did have a question on this as well, because at the time I didn't know. The man's name is Abraham Lemma, this contractor, and that's all it said at the time. But now we do know, yes, he is a naturalized U.S. citizen of Ethiopian descent. He has been charged with two counts of espionage and willful retention of national defense information. The espionage charges, as you guys know, you got to remember this, espionage charges do carry a potential death sentence, but they're not going to give him death, obviously. But it could also be life in prison. You never know. He'll probably do like six months. Uh, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Little else was known last week, yes. And... He had been employed by the State Department since at least 2021, working during the evenings at a secure facility in Washington. And around May of 2022, he began working during the days as an analyst at the Justice Department, where he had this classified access. At the State Department, he was an uh, IT guy, information technology administrator in their intelligence arm. And he had access to all these classified systems. And why would he get this? Well, Ethiopia is kind of involved in a conflict with their neighbor, Eritrea, and that is certainly information the Ethiopian government would have liked to have. And apparently from December 2022 to August of 2023, Lemma copied information from dozens of intelligence reports on all kinds of topics. In some instances, he would delete the classification markings and paste the contents into Word documents, and most of the reports, yes, were related to Ethiopia. He still has family back there. But he's being accused of taking more than 100 documents. And uh, he had been repeatedly observed retrieving classified material without authorized access and taking handwritten notes. I guess they're just watching him, trying to ensnare more people? Hmm. He did have an overseas handler as well because he, that's who he was sending all this shit to. And let me see here. Just looking here. In recent years, the, U the U.S. has provided Ethiopia with more than $3 billion in aid. And let me see. Oh, here's, uh, here's some juicy, gory details. Poor spy tradecraft appears to have played a part in helping the FBI confirm that Lemma was in contact with a foreign intelligence official. While the two communicated over an encrypted platform, maybe Signal or something, they freely discussed the military activities of a rebel group and identified command and logistics centers. The court filings portray Lemma as an enthusiastic spy. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, he seemed to be good to go. One uh, Around September 22nd, the intelligence official, his handler, stated that it was, quote, time to continue your support, end quote. Lemma responded, quote, roger that, exclamation point, end quote. So that's a little bit of a mystery cleared up. Let's go to the old, 
Ukraine, Russia, a few, few stories here. First of all, you guys saw President Volodymyr Zelensky did travel to the United States. I think he's today's in Canada. But he did complete a three-day trip to the U.S. He did address the U.N. General Assembly and visited the White House. Uh, so that, that address to the U.N. was on Tuesday, and that was his first in-person address since the start of the invasion. And again, presented Russia's aggression as a threat to the world. And speaking of the Security Council, he criticized the U.N. for failing to prevent or resolve conflicts like the one hurting his country. And he also called for Russia to be stripped of the veto power they have as a permanent member of the council. Uh, then he went to Capitol Hill and he was lobbying for more aid. There were dozens of Republicans who have voiced their opposition to sending more weapons to Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky appears to have made little progress in persuading the Republican leadership of the House of Representatives to approve an additional $24 billion in military and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. And then Zelensky went on to visit the White House. He met with Biden after receiving a $325 million air defense package from existing funding. Oh, and Biden also said that next week, the U.S. is going to begin shipping over those Abrams tanks. Remember, the Biden administration agreed to donate those uh, in January. You know, it's not such a simple thing. You got to get all this shit together. Uh, well, you know, it's not, it's not going to be enough tanks to make a difference. But, you know, and, and I'm just saying, I have a bad feeling about that because, you know, Russia is going to use that as massive propaganda. The first Bradley that gets smoked from some kind of artillery or something. Yeah, that's going to be all over social media. Mark that down. Uh, and then I've talked a little bit about Zelensky trying to weed out the corruption before because, you know, he's got to show the U.S. that this isn't the old Ukraine, you know, where there's uh, just graft and corruption everywhere. And I've brought up the corruption a few times. Remember we had that story about the military recruiting guy who was taking cash to not draft men into the Ukrainian military, shit like that. And then two weeks ago, they replaced their defense minister. And now this week, Ukraine dismissed all six of the deputy defense ministers. Because that is, the, the Ministry of Defense was the one that was drawing all the criticism for the corruption and procurement. Um, so, it's interesting because the chain of command for this battle, for battlefield decisions, runs directly from Zelensky to the military military's uniform general staff. And it does largely bypass the civilians of the defense ministry. Apparently, the ministry's role over there is primarily not in tactics, or uh, but logistics. How to get the weapons, how to get the ammo, how to pay salaries, benefits, shit like that. So they don't think this is going to have a huge effect. Much of the Western aid to Ukraine has been in arms, gear, and training, not cash, supplied directly to the military. And Ukraine's allies have also supplied billions in financial aid. Uh, let me see here. Just looking about... Yeah, I was like wondering, like, why? Well, the government did not give a reason for the move of doing this. They, they didn't say anything. I wonder if we quietly pushed them. Said, like, yeah, you got to get rid of these six hacks. They're not doing shit. Uh, what else about Ukraine? Europe has made another pledge of ammunition for Ukraine. And, of course, I've told you guys this many times, 
the European militaries have been going to shit. So where are they going to come with all this? Where are they going to come up with all this ammo? Their militaries have been degrading in Europe for decades. And, oh, here it is. This is the pledge last March. The EU, European Union, would deliver a 1 million rounds of that 155 millimeter ammunition for the howitzers within one year. And now Ukraine is running short of those shells. And they're, everybody's now saying that, you know, there's, there's just no way they're going to come up with this, even with a ramp up in you know, production. Manufacturers are building these rounds even before being fully paid. And they're having problems keeping up with it. Nobody knows where they're coming from, the rounds. And, and one guy, the chief executive Norway-based NAMO, which produces about 25% of Europe's ammunition... He said the, the industry capacity is just, just doesn't even exist. Yeah, you remember last March, Ukrainian soldiers were burning through thousands of artillery shells every day. And that was when they were trying to retain control of that city of Bakhmut. Yeah, and those 155 shells are fired from the 155 howitzers. That's really been the backbone of Ukraine's like artillery war. And yeah, there's just, but there's no, there, there's just no way they're going to do it. There are several other places they could get it. Um, European Union states could buy ammo from uh, the UK, Britain, because remember they're not in the EU anymore. The US and South Korea, those are three major global producers and exporters of those rounds. But that kind of, that kind of ruins the whole point of this. Europe doing it, you know? I mean, this is supposed to bulk, bulk up European manufacturing. And also, by the way, South Korea has prohibited their weapons from being sent to Ukraine. And the U.S., we're trying to rebuild our own stockpiles because we've given them a shitload. The Pentagon has said that American manufacturers expect to produce 57,000 rounds of 155 shells a month by next spring. Even if all of that was sold to EU countries and then sent to Ukraine it would still not close the gap of what they want. So, yeah, bad, bad, bad stuff. And Poland says they're not sending any more weapons. Yeah. They've had enough, apparently. The Polish authorities said they would supply Ukraine only with already promised weapons. And this statement came a day after the country's prime minister, Matuz Morawiecki, told a national broadcaster that Poland was, quote, no longer transferring any weapon to Ukraine because we are now arming ourselves with the most modern weapons, end quote. Yeah, it's not clear how much weaponry Poland will be sending. And Poland's been Ukraine's biggest backer in the EU, and they've also taken 1.7 million Ukrainian refugees. But... Yeah, this is uh, but this is like some political stuff going on here. The ruling party in Poland is the Law and Justice Party, and apparently they're in Dutch with the voters over there, and not very happy. And they don't want them to. They want it's like Poland first, you know, like America first. So yeah, we'll see what happens with them. They'll probably buckle. And anything else? Um, let's. Talk about the drones. Yeah, it's been you know it's been an artillery war, but it's also been a drone war. But these drones 
are making a big difference and they don't cost very much money, which is key. Sometimes they only weigh a, f a few pounds. Sometimes they're made of plastic or foam, but they're so slow moving and tiny. It's very hard for enemy like radar to pick up a lot of these things. So these drones can, you know, they can go pretty far. They can jam various radar systems. They can search for our art enemy artillery positions and uh, and if they get shot down, if they do get shot down, who cares? They're only worth a few thousand bucks a piece. Yeah, great pictures here at this article at the New York Times. And then I have a few audio clips for you. Let's start with uh, hapless, bumbling, notable serial liar John Kirby. Remember, he's the uh, spokesman for the White House. And here he is on uh, this is NBC. And apparently Senator J.D. Vance has kind of said, like, well, what's our exit strategy here? So they decided to kind of ask Kirby about that. Let's One hear of the points that J.D. Vance raises is that it's not clear what the exit strategy is. So can you speak to that point, to that concern? What's the strategy? What's the exit plan here for the U.S.? Well, again, I'm not exactly clear what the senator's referring to. Normally, when you talk about exit strategy, you're talking about getting American troops out of a war zone, that kind of thing. It's important to remember that we don't have American troops in Ukraine. <laughs> the Ukrainians are on their soil, and they're fighting for every inch of it. So I don't That's think they plan on going anywhere. The military aid. We are they providing are the military aid are planning, and obviously financial aid. They are planning on going anywhere. And the United States is committed to supporting Ukraine for as long as it takes to succeed on the battlefield. So if by exit strategy, he's talking about an end of the war, I'd offer this. Mr. Putin could end it today if he just pulled his troops out of Ukraine where they don't belong. Okay, it, it just stops there. Well, he's not going to do that. I did like that comment about there's no Americans in Ukraine. If you fucking believe that, you have to have your head examined. And then this one was floating around a lot on Twitter. I have a clip here. This is from Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Who is that? Well, that was the English-speaking, it is the English-speaking, transgender American who is the spokesman for Ukraine, for the English-speaking world, right? Yeah, this person used to be, in, like, I think it was an army, right? And then they decided they were a woman, and now they're the one who sits there in front of the Ukrainian flag and announces, uh, puts out Ukraine's position in the English-speaking world. So, again, this has to do with J.D. Vance, because J.D. Vance is questioning all this stuff, and this person didn't like it. And this was like, um, she started talking some shit. So I'm not going to play the whole thing, because it's like almost four minutes long, but let's see what uh, we can get here. Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. And I'd like to thank the X social media platform for carrying this exclusive message from Kyiv. There has been much discussion recently related to my role within the armed forces of Ukraine. Before answering some of the questions put forward by Senator Vance of Ohio, I'd like to thank all those in the U.S. who are supporting the Ukrainian people. Without Republicans and Democrats working together on behalf of Ukraine, our growing and unstoppable success on the battlefield and the inevitable victory it will bring over the Russian invaders would take significantly longer. The delivery of attackums will further expedite our victory while saving lives and tax dollars in the process. America is once more showing why it's history's greatest republic and the world's lone superpower. And all of us in Ukraine are humbled by the support we're receiving from the American people. Let me also take a moment in my role as spokesperson for the AFU's Territorial Defense Forces to state unequivocally 
that we in the TDF and across Ukraine believe journalists are heroes and have the right to report on Ukraine's war for liberation without interference. Free speech is the pillar of all democracy. The First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with the rest of that sacred document, is ordained by God. The Russian propagandists and war criminals who are spreading lies and pushing false narratives are not journalists. They are information agents and an extension of the Putin-Pogrosian effort to spread chaos and wreak havoc across the globe. In Ukraine, we do not seek vengeance, only justice. Because of this, these enemies of freedom and democracy will have to answer for their crimes in a court of law. Senator Vance recently asked the U.S. Director of National Intelligence, along with the Secretaries of State and Defense, if I was working in some capacity for the American government. Simply put, I'm an American serving as a Ukrainian infantry soldier and combat medic who was brought from the zero line and assigned to the TDF's media team in the dual role of spokesperson and Russian disinformation analyst. The remaining speculation surrounding me is disappointing. <laughs> While in Ukraine we are fighting for global liberty and the ideology of victory, too many in Moscow and across the world are still caught up in focusing on the tired trope of gender chaos. Gender Ukraine chaos. is a nation that embraces individual name. liberty and maintains a devotion to God. The freedom that Ukraine is fighting for is not based on carving out privilege for some, but creating a pathway of prosperity and success founded in hard work and the rule of law for all. Neither I nor any Ukrainian is fighting for tolerance and acceptance for any one group, but for the freedom of every human. This freedom is one that most closely... Okay, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stop it there because it's not getting to the point I want, and I don't want to take all day. Apparently, they said they went on to say something like, well, we're going to hunt down the enemies of Ukraine and all that, and this was in response to a U.S. senator. So there was like kind of a big dust-up, and apparently um, that person was suspended from their duties as the military's spokesman in Ukraine. But I just checked their Twitter account, and they appear to be back up doing it again, so... Who knows? So there you go. I don't. I don't know. It's, uh, but it's just a weird visual. Like you look at this, it's like this pretty big man, um, with a tight shirt with some breasts and like this really bad wig. Now go Google the name. You'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, let's keep going. And let me see. Let's uh, do uh, something interesting here. How about this story out of, where is this? Colorado Springs. Yeah, Colorado Springs police started an investigation back in July into a former deputy district attorney and a local Mormon church leader who's being accused of sexual assault on a child. David McConkie, 45 years old. He's a former president of the Colorado Springs East Stake within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was arrested in late August on a felony charge of abusing a child between 2004 and 2013. Wow. Um, and one victim, who's now 19 years old, told the cops about this abuse that spanned several years and concerns she has that he is abusing yet another young child based on that child's behavior. The arrest affidavit also said McConkie confessed an inappropriate sex acts with, with a child to a church leader in 2008. The person who spoke with cops about the confession said he was shocked, but he did not ask many clarifying details about it. The name of that person was redacted in the documents. Oh, 
Yeah, dude. McConkie was a deputy district attorney over there in Colorado Springs. Dude, see? This shit is so widespread. Fucking blows my mind, dude. Oh, update. Important update. You guys remember last week, the uh, opening music and the story about the Peso Pluma, the popular Latino singer? Yeah, and he was uh, he was getting death threats from the cartels against a playing in Mexico, in T- Tijuana anyway. Well, he has canceled his Tijuana concert. Yeah, he uh, because remember, he was uh, playing those Corridos Tumbados, songs that tell stories of the Mexican drug trade. And yeah, he said safety concerns led him to cancel his October 14th show in Tijuana just over a week after he was a parent target of threats from that drug cartel. He performed at the MTV Music Video Music Awards. Yeah, pretty young guy, dude. He, he like he like burst onto the scene. I'd never heard of this guy before like a month ago. Uh, he will still be playing for all of you Latino music lovers. He still will be playing right here in San Diego on September 30th in Chula Vista. So maybe some of you TJ residents can go check that one out. Peso Pluma has written and appeared on several tracks dedicated to Joaquin Guzman Loera. Who is that, you guys? You remember? That would be El Champon, the former leader of the Sinaloa cartel. And then last week, those three banners containing threats written in big red letters were spotted in different areas of the city. And they warned him in Spanish to, quote, refrain from appearing this October 14th, Holmes, because it will be your last presentation essay, end quote. And they were signed with the initials of the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generacion, or Jalisco New Generation Cartel, one of Mexico's most powerful drug cartels. Yeah. These banners, by the way, they have a special name. These banners that talk about or warn people, they're known as narcomantas. And apparently those are, that's the specific term for a, a banner put up by a drug cartel. That's funny. It's so prevalent that they have a specific Mexi- uh, Spanish word for it. Huh. You know what Peso Pluma's real name is? I didn't have this last week. His real name is Hassan Emilio Cabande Laija. It's Hassan, huh? I wonder if he's got a, some kind of uh, Middle Eastern ethnic background. I don't know. Uh, his Peso Pluma translates to featherweight. And yeah, he was, he was, he, was, he got huge just this year. Does he say how old he is? Mm, doesn't say. So, yeah, too bad. Well, I'll go to Chula Vista and see old Peso. What else? Uh, let's go to Maui. By the way, we still don't have an updated Maui death toll. Do you fucking believe this shit? And as a matter of fact, they lowered it. Remember how it was like 115 forever? Now they lowered it to like 97. Wonder if that. wonder if there's an update in this article, because this article isn't really about that in particular. But remember the banyan tree in Maui? It was a very famous tree, and it burned in the Lahaina fires. It's a 150-year-old tree. And this was, you know, this thing sprawled out like an enormous amount. I mean, like residents, you know, you know gathered, they had... The feast there. They asked people to marry them. It was a very famous tree. And they thought the tree would die. However, green shoots have begun to unfurl around the trunk of the tree, and others have sprouted from their branches. So Hawaii's Department of Land and Natural Resources shared a video that showed these bright green leaves on the tree, and they said this is a very positive sign for the tree's long-term recovery. And uh, they're really, I guess they got a fucking whole team of arborists, you know, like tree people, not tree people like the Ent, like in, (laughs) 
in the J.R.R. Tolkien novels. But tree people as in people who like to care for trees. Yes. Uh, many of them have been devoting a lot of time to try to get this banyan tree back to um, health. So this tree was just eight feet tall when it was planted in 1873 to commemorate a Protestant mission to Lahaina 50 years before that. So the residents took good care of it, helped the tree grow, and um, it was the largest banyan tree in the United States. It uh, was uh, 60 feet high, but more was the sprawl. Just goes, just goes way back. So yeah, they're they're watering it to keep taking really good care of it. So one tiny positive aspect out of that horrific fucking event, and uh, I don't know what they're doing with the death toll. There's no mention of it in this article either. So let's go on to Hunter Biden quickly. He's now going to plead not guilty to those gun charges I talked about last week. He's... <laughs> This is so stupid. Yeah, he's going to plead not guilty to three federal gun charges. Uh, he was indicted last week. This is, so, these are, this is such a waste of time. And it's that, you know, two of the charges were that he lied about his drug use to purchase a handgun in 2018. Well, you know how many fucking people I know who've, who've bought guns who've lied about that? Come on. Yeah. And uh, the other, the third charge, by the way, is one charge of illegally possessing the weapon. So, so now he's pleading not guilty. If convicted, he could face up to 25 years in prison. Yeah, right. Yeah, he'll never get this. So, it's just, and like I said last week, it just seems like a dumb waste of time when there's like so much fucking other shit that you could go after Hunter Biden for. Again, and for all the people who are screaming, well, there's no proof, there's no proof. I'm like, dude, why do you think all those overseas oligarchs wanted to give crackhead Hunter Biden tens of millions of dollars. They knew it. They knew what he was like. You think Hunter Biden, you don't think they were watching Hunter Biden when he went over to Ukraine, you know, work for Burisma or whatever. I bet Hunter had Ukrainian hookers falling out of his hotel room and they definitely knew about it. So they knew how to work him. And there's no reason you're going to give a guy who's smoking crack and getting pegged by hookers, allegedly, Millions and millions of dollars, but you do it for one very specific reason because his last name is Biden. And then one more Hunter Biden tidbit. He's saying he's going to sue the IRS. Yeah, I mean, I can't hate the guy. I'm not trying to like, I just can't. Yeah, he said the disclosure of his finances by the IRS uh, was against the law. He's saying the agents violated his privacy. And this happened just a few days after the gun thing. Yeah, he filed the suit uh, this week, and it asserts that IRS investigators violated the IRS rules on taxpayer privacy and targeted and sought to embarrass Biden via public statements to the media in which they and their representatives disclosed confidential information about a private citizen's tax matters. Weren't, weren't, uh, weren't Trump's documents leaked, too? Did he ever end up suing? I don't remember that one. Let's go to this story. Did you guys see the video of those two fucking pieces of shit who ran over, ran down the retired police chief on his bicycle? It was a brutal video. Yeah, these two fucking kids, they have been charged. 
They are named Jesus Ayala, 18 years old, who in, a, in another tweet, uh, somebody had the arrest record, and they labeled him as white, which he's clearly Hispanic, and he has a face tattoo. So all around good decisions on this kid. Any other kids named Jazamir Keers? I'm sorry, Jazamir Keys, J-Z-A-M-I-R. They're 18 and 16, respectively. They've also been now accused of trying to kill a second cyclist, but they did hit Andreas Probst, 64 years old. He is a retired police chief, and uh, killed him. So they are saying that these two not only killed the chief, tried to kill a second cyclist, stole three cars, and committed burglary all within two hours on August 14th. So uh, Ayala was the one who was driving the car, and the other clown was filming it. And you can see him film himself in the side view mirror a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it's just a horrific video. And uh, oh, and also, when, uh, when the cops caught up to Ayala, he, alleged, he told cops, quote, you think this juvenile shit is going to do some shit? I'll be out in 30 days. I'll bet you. And then he added, it's just shit. Uh, hit and run. Slap on the wrist. Well, unfortunately for him, this guy died. But, uh, yeah, it's it's just a horrible video. And and the reason I wanted to do this story, I, you longtime listeners have heard me complain about this before. I absolutely hate when some horrific crime happens, right? And then the family of the victim has to come out and be like, we'll pray for forgiveness. And cause we, and I'm just like, well, I, you don't please stop. Just shut. I don't want to hear you. I don't care what your Christian belief or anything is. But this one was a little bit different. I want to play. This is the Vic. This is the murder. Vic. This is Prope's daughter. And she held a little press conference. And I'm just going to play this. And you guys tell me, let it speak for itself here. Bear with me, guys. This is not something we've ever really done before. But. We are devastated by the senseless murder of Andy. Andy's life was robbed by two individuals who did not believe that lives of others matter. We believe that Andy's murder is a direct result of society's decayed family values and the strong effects that social media has on our youth. We as a family in no way feel that Andy's murder was based on race or profession. It was a random act of violence. We ask you to not politicize or use Andy's murder to fuel political agendas or to create cultural wars. Now, you are familiar with how Andy died, but let me tell you a little bit about how he lived. Okay, I'm just going to stop it there. That was the point I was trying to make. Basically, she's up there begging like, well, don't don't draw any conclusions. Just because our white father was mowed down by this, we don't want you uh, white racists getting involved. You know, like, that's the first thing you think of? I wouldn't even, like, think to say that. I would be, like, talking about these pieces of shit who just murdered my father. But I just think it's so weird. It's like this weird ritual they feel they have to do. What else? Let's go to the border. I've got a big, lots of stuff on the border because the border is pretty much uh, non-existent at this point. Yep. I remember in stupid Joe Biden said so it's all under control. Yeah, we're up to almost 10,000 people a day. That's a record. They're coming from Brazil. They're coming from Uzbekistan, India, Burkina Faso, dozens of other countries. And they are coming through the cracks. And this is the, the highest thing we've ever seen. And they're not waiting. 
because they've been told, and I've told you guys this a hundred times, I hate to be a broken record. You can say and do all this shit about we're doing enforcement and we're sending people back. That's not, but they don't care about that. What they care about is their buddy from Uzbekistan calls them up and he's like, yeah, I'm in Oklahoma. Yeah, they gave me a phone. I'm supposed to check in in like four years. Yeah, just come up. They're not doing anything. And that's why they come. <laughs> I've said it a thousand times. Of course, this is of course this is definitely on purpose. It has to be. And then they're not coming here for asylum. I'm so tired of the media calling them asylum. They're not coming here for asylum. They want to come here to work and make money. And that's fine and all, but we're full. And we don't have enough people to fill those jobs. And also relevant, you know, this the whole border. We've had illegal immigration for since we've had America, right? But until recent history, the vast majority of them were Mexican. San Diego, the name is Mexican. I mean, there's such a big, huge Mexican culture in the Southwest because that's who always crossed the border illegally, and then they settled down and whatever. And it was kind of like, it's such a cross-border culture here. People go back and forth to Tijuana and San Diego all the time, Los Angeles. And, and that was like, you know, that was like, just normal. But now it's a completely different story because of all these other countries involved and the sheer number and the laws governing those people who are known by the Border Patrol's OTMs other than Mexicans. There's special rules for them, which you've heard me talk about before. Um, but yeah, it was up to 4,900 crossings, illegal crossings a day that were in mid-April. And I just saw the other day it hit 10,000. And stupid Joe Biden... Remember, they have that CBP-1 app, and at the time when I was released, I told you guys that all this is doing is it's shuffling numbers. So they can say, like, no, we don't have millions of people who illegally immigrated because they made an appointment with the app, and then we cut them loose. So, no, those aren't illegal. <laughs> the fact is there's still millions of people here. And to top that off, the Biden administration just allowed almost 500,000 Venezuelan migrants to seek work permits and protection from deportation. That was under the TPS program, Temporarily Protected Status. But the thing is, temporarily means permanently. Because I, And I've told you this before, we still have people from an earthquake in South America or Latin America, I can't remember which one, but it happened like decades ago, and those, still, those people are still under TPS. Haitians are still under TPS from the earthquake that was years ago. So it just never ends. And so what do you think? Biden, so now Biden is waving his wand and protecting half a million Venezuelans. What do you think those Venezuelans are on their cell phones doing right now? They're calling all the fucking family. Come on up. It's all good. We're getting work permits. Do you think that will result in more or less Venezuelans at the border? Gee, I fucking wonder which one that'll be. Yeah, and it's just massive now. They have no place to put these people. 8,000 arrests just on Monday alone. And like I said, it's come up to uh, 10,000. This is unbelievable, dude. Yeah. And Trump had gotten this semi under control by waving the big fucking economic stick at Mexico and they were cooperating. Then Biden got in there and he just doesn't, he undid everything Trump did. Remember on like the first day. 
in August, 232,972 illegal immigrants found at the southern border in August. Those are just illegal. 7.5 million illegal immigrants have crossed the border since Biden took office. That's insane. That's several San Diego's. And there's there's just nothing. Oh, what's the new Biden plan? New York Times says Biden plan seeks to keep migrants away from border. What's he going to do? What's the plan? Uh, oh, here we. Oh, it's this old one. He's going to establish migration processing centers in Central and South America. Yeah, nobody's going to do that. The whole point is to get into America because then you're safe and then you're in here. As a matter of fact, the same article says they have a lot of appointments. Um, but the demand for those appointments far outstripped the supply for appointments. So the portal, the online portal for those migration processing centers collapses. And by the way, the countries that those migration processing centers are in, they don't want applicants because they think, well, a bunch of people are going to come into our country to get to that processing center. And we don't want that. Um, there's one in Colombia, there's one in Costa Rica, and there are others planned in Guatemala. N- none of this shit is going to work, dude. More people, you guys have heard of, did you guys hear the, of the Darien Gap? That's that part of Latin America. Uh, it's like a pathway to the U.S. And they, they keep an eye on it to kind of see what the numbers are. Well, more people, 360,000 through the beginning of this month, have already crossed the Darien Gap this year than in all of last year. And in August, roughly 91,000 families at the U.S. southern border were arrested after crossing illegally. That is a monthly record. Even Colombia's vice minister of foreign affairs said about this new U.S. program, quote, the effect on migration through the Darien will be minimal or none at all. Let's be frank, end quote. See, he's smarter than every single person in the Biden administration. Of course, they know this. Um, yeah, it's just all a waste of time, (laughs) but again, you know, they kind of want this to happen because as I've told you repeatedly by statistically out of all illegal immigrants and legal immigrants, they vote for Democrats 70 plus percent of the time and their kids will too. So that's the big yucky part that nobody wants to talk about. And now the Democrats are kind of pointing fingers a little bit, especially the mayors, and I have a clip of that in a moment. I'm just going through these uh, various tabs I have because I have quite a few. And then a lot of you guys sent me this one, this illegal immigrant town that sprung up in Texas called Colony Ridge. Yeah, this developer has been accused of creating like a illegal alien town by selling off land to border crossers without asking for any paperwork. And this is about 20 miles northeast of downtown Houston. And people say... This development has drawn in thousands of illegal immigrants as well as drug cartel activity. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at an aerial shot of it right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one guy, one critic uh, said uh, this dude who owns this developer, his name is William Trey Harris. And he claims that Harris has been selling off plots direct to borrowers for a few hundred dollars without conducting any background checks. Of course, he's not going to conduct shit. The settlement is estimated to be about 60 square miles in size and home up to 75,000 people. Yikes. Uh, And now Mexico 
you know, they're finally fucking pulling their head out of, the, out of their ass. They're feeling a lot of pressure because all these people are crossing the Mexican border first. Remember Trump made him crack down on that, but now they're just completely overwhelmed. And this is Mexico's southern border with Guatemala. And you've probably seen this video online. Go uh, search for the video of the Guatemalans or the, the refugees, air quotes there, storming the refugee aid office on Monday in Mexico's southern border. They just like took over the place. In Tijuana, nearly all of the city's 32 shelters were at full capacity. People from nearly 70 countries waited for a U.S. asylum appointment or a chance to sneak across, which is what almost all of them end up doing. And Mexico is trying to do all kinds of stupid, like just, they're just like flailing, shutting down railways, um, all this shit. Yeah, uh, actually on Wednesday, thousands of people crossing the Eagle Pass, Texas. That led the mayor to declare a state of emergency. 800 active duty military personnel showed up. But you know what their job is? Not that their job is to help process people. They're not stopping them from coming in again. Uh, it's crazy, dude. This is this, these are numbers we've never seen before. I'm looking at these. These pictures are crazy because all the libs a few years ago they made fun of the word caravan. They're like, "Oh, Gary Caravan," you know. They, they and, and they're mocking it because they're like, "Oh, you're overestimating the problem." What else would you call this picture I'm looking at with literally hundreds and hundreds of people in it? In like you know about five five across that stretches out for about a mile. What else would you call that by a caravan? It's ridiculous. And, and and the thing, this is all by choice, guys, because they don't have to be, they don't have, why do they always come north? Why not go south if you're in Guatemala, Nicaragua? Why not go to that gigantic friggin' continent down south? Why don't they do that? Probably because they're not friggin' welcome. So I've got some clips here. This one is a pretty extraordinary uh, I want to. This is Joe Biden talking about expanding legal pathways to entry. Listen to this shit. I, can... I mean it. First, we put in place policies that process people in a fair and fast way. Second, we're significantly expanding legal pathways for entry so businesses can get the workers they need. Families don't have to wait for a decade to be together. I've also directed my team to make historic increase in the number of refugees admitted from Latin America. People fleeing violence and persecution who simply want their kids to have a better life. Next week, my team will consult with Congress on this plan. Oh, yeah, your plan, I'm sorry it's so faint, you guys. I don't know what the fuck the problem is with these videos and these microphones. are always so faint. Stupidest shit ever. Uh, so you heard him. He's going to actually, so on top of the millions and the 7 million illegals he's taken in, he's going to expand legal immigration too? I don't see how, I mean, I'm not trying to be like, you know, white supremacy talking points here, but how do you look at this as anything else but like on, an on-purpose enabling of, yes, an invasion? That's what it is. Just because they don't carry guns, they're just overwhelming you with the sheer numbers. How is it not an invasion? I'm not even going to bother to play the other clip from that same one because it's all so faint. Uh, now, let's uh, hear from the stupid White House. They're, they're asking Karine Jean-Pierre some you questions here. Yeah. And you said, 
We are stopping the flow at the border. Is 10,000 migrants in a single day stopping the flow? What I will say is, I just mentioned 250 individuals have been have been uh, stopped who do not have the legal pathway from coming in. That has been since May 12th. And, and as we are, you know, looking at Eagle Pass, and I know this is a uh, this is a uh, where where um, uh, uh, kind of the the the, um, uh, the issue uh. is at the time at, at the moment. Uh, you know, CBP quickly surged resources and personnel to the area, and thanks to their great work, their great work, uh, we're able to swiftly vet, vetted, and process into custody more than 2,500 individuals and cleared the area where migrants had congregated. Oh, okay, great. So they, they, they were, I love that. They, they swiftly, CBP quickly swarmed the area, and then they promptly let everybody in. And it was so efficient, you guys, how fast they let everybody in. <laughs> God. Uh, oh, here's a Fox News report. Uh, it mentions the Venezuelans. Very brief one. Let's listen to this. But yesterday around 10 a.m., we started to see the large numbers, most of those migrants coming from Venezuela. Many believe, sources telling Fox News, that it's drawing more of them, knowing that a half a million just got that temporary protective status, yeah, which means they're protected for 18 months from being deported. Yeah, there you go. There's the whole thing right there, because they're all like, yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm in. Everybody's in. Uh, here's Courant, Karine Jean-Pierre again. I think the uh, administration said yesterday it was a, a granting temporary legal status to hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans. At the same time, the city of Eagle Pass uh, in the Rio Grande uh, has announced a state of emergency because of immigrant surge. Um, is there any concern that the timing of this uh, Venezuelan TPS announcement might exacerbate what's happening in Eagle Pass right now? In, in, Essentially, is this going to make the situation in Eagle Pass worse? Yes. So look, um, we have worked very hard. The president has worked very hard to implement a strategy when it comes to the border that is humane, safe, and and has orderly enforcement. That is something that we have tried to do and worked really hard to do these last two years. Okay, ten thousand a day. Is that is that orderly? Is that and there's no enforcement. They're processed and led into the country. Now, apparently, Governor Kathy is it Hochul? I think I asked you guys this before. Yeah, from New York. The governor, she's fucking had enough. Boy, she sounds like uh, one of those uh, right-wingers here. Let's listen to the governor talk we about this. We have to let the word out that when you come to New York, we're not going to have more hotel rooms. We don't have capacity. So we have to also message properly that we're at our limit. If you're going to leave your country, go somewhere else. But the smarter thing is to apply for asylum before you leave your country. Yeah, they're not going to do that. They're not going to wait around. They want in now. Go somewhere else, she said. How cruel. What happened to the Statue of Liberty? Jesus. Uh, I've got some more on this, but honestly, most of this is propaganda. Uh, let's see here. Here's a, somebody who's not propaganda. Fox News, Bill Malusion. I follow him on Twitter. He's been at the, He's been watching the border forever. He's actually there, boots on ground. He's been there for like years. He's been watching all of this shit. Let's hear a little report from Bill Malusion. I can tell you that early this morning in Eagle Pass, we witnessed one of the largest mass illegal crossings we have ever seen in the last two and a half years of covering our southern border. We'll get right to this video. Take a look at this stunning footage. Border Patrol sources telling us just after midnight, about 2,500 migrants crossed illegally 
illegally into Eagle Pass. You can see this lengthy line of them stretching from shore to shore in the river. This video perspective coming from the Mexican side of the river and Piedras Negras, one of our contacts over there shooting this video as they essentially bum-rushed Eagle Pass last night. And this happened right next to the port of entry where the Biden administration is telling people to cross legally. <laughs> they don't care. They're crossing illegally yes. because there are little to no fear of consequences. Take a look at this second perspective, this second piece of video showing uh, what was almost essentially a stampede of people rushing down to the edge of the river just it's after insane. midnight. You can see some Mexican National Guard soldiers kind of standing around aimlessly, not <laughs> sure of how to try to stop so many people, but they went rushing into the water and crossed illegally right into Eagle Pass. Over 2,500 of them, according to our sources. Then take a look at this video. Our drone team shot early this morning after the sun came up and those people had already made it to the U.S. side of the border. This is what was left over as they were being processed. Masses of single adults as well as some family units as these migrants continue to have no fear of consequences for crossing the U.S. border illegally. They believe if they step foot on U.S. soil, they will be released into the United States and they are not listening to Biden administration messaging that Duh. the border is closed and that they should not come to the United States. And as you mentioned, it appears a lot more of them are on the way. Take a look at this video out of Mexico. Sources providing Fox this footage showing a train full of migrants hooting, hollering, cheering, and waving to the cameras. Yeah. This is in Zacatecas, Mexico, and that train is heading straight for the U.S.-Mexico border. It is heading north. Once these migrants get into Mexico, Mexico mass issues them humanitarian visas like candy almost. That allows them to travel throughout Mexico and they go right to the U.S.-Mexico border, some of them going to Piedras Negras, which is the city across from Eagle Pass, and then you see what happens, the result last night. Okay, so you get the point. It's just, it's a complete chaos. Total chaos, and even the uh, mayor of Eagle Rock, he's, uh, he's saying this is Mayor Rolando Salinas. Uh, that sounds like a Latino name. Let's hear what he has to say here. What's disappointing is that you have all these thousands of people just walking in without any consequence whatsoever. So the word is getting out. It's kind of a come one, come all type of approach. And you have all these people coming. There is no consequence. And I just want to say that I think that this is unacceptable. Well, thank you, Rolando. It's unacceptable. Yeah. It's fucking in complete chaos. It's a total fucking... Everybody around the world is watching this happen. And they're all like, well, they're in. They made it. So let's all go. You could see there could be millions more, like hundreds, tens of millions of people could cross before Biden fucking passes out from dementia or whatever. Is that all? That's all. Let's move on. God. Uh, let's let's go to South Korea. The police in South Korea accused 17 American soldiers and five other people of distributing or using synthetic marijuana that had been brought in the country using the U.S. military's postal service. Hmm. The cops say they have not arrested any of the soldiers, but they had asked prosecutors to file charges against all 22 people. Synthetic marijuana is an illegal substance in South Korea. And they say this drug investigation was one of the largest in recent years involving American soldiers. Much of the distribution of the drug had taken place on U.S. bases through soldiers communicating on Snapchat. Wow. Yeah, they're, um, the U.S. military said is aware of the South Korean police investigation. However, they are not having any soldiers in confinement at this time. 
Illegal drug use is much less common in South Korea than in the U.S., but the government there says it's on the upswing, especially among younger people, and it has been promising to crack down on it more vigorously. Yeah, good luck. Uh, update on the Libyan dam situation. Remember last week, those those enormous floods? Yeah, they've, they've been doing uh, quite a checkup on this. And it, it turns out it had been clear for years that the dams protecting the town of Derna on Libya's Mediterranean coast were in decade of giving way. And you remember Libya had all those years of civil war and all that shit. And academics had warned them that these dams were not going to withstand a torrential rain, which was common in that town, actually. Uh, a paper was published in 2022 by a hydraulic engineer at Omar al-Mukhtar University in Libya saying that the residents of Derna are, quote, extremely vulnerable to flood risk, end quote. And this, that author cited a damaging flood in 1959. He said, hey, these, these dams could collapse. He says it's a very dangerous situation. Uh, not much death toll on the update. It was, what, 6,000? last week but we don't i don't see any new one the dams were built by engineers who had underestimated the amount of rain expected in the region this paper argues yeah and he sent his paper to academic colleagues in the nation's capital of tripoli and a senior dam expert in the united states and they all said his conclusions appeared to be solid so again just human hubris they're not just they just don't listen uh, and by the way, Khalifa Hifter, he oversees the military dictatorship that leads the eastern half of Libya. Remember, Libya's got like two governments, one in Tripoli and the other one into the east. Oh, and by the way, uh, Khalifa Hifter is 79 years old. He's a former CIA asset. So um, he's keeping tight control over the aid after the floods. It's the same old shit, dude. You, you guys all mean well. You donate to the Red Cross. The Red Cross brings all the supplies and cash in. And then the strong man goes ahead and seizes it. He's running what is effectively a military dictatorship. Yeah, so keep donating, I guess. All right. Uh, what else do I want to do here? Let's... Um, let me do... Well, let's do a couple of... Uh, Guantanamo stories or Guantanamo adjacent. Yeah, the military judge in the September 11th case of Guantanamo Bay reopened pretrial hearings on Tuesday for the first time in nearly two years by announcing he's going to retire next year before the case ever reaches a trial. <laughs> joke. Colonel Matthew McCall of the Air Force is the fourth judge to hold hearings in the case and he's going to leave in April. Yep. These are decade-old pre-trial hearings. And then the new judge has to come in. They've got to get read up on it. We're talking 36,000 pages of transcripts and 400,000 pages of filing and exhibits. It's just, dude, all of this. And then one more story on that. Uh, one of the 9-11 defendants, a judge has ruled, is not fit for a death penalty trial. That same judge, Matthew McCall. Yeah, thanks for fucking on this one. Fucking us on this one, McCall. 
He ruled that a defendant in the September 11th case who was tortured by the CIA was ineligible for the death penalty trial. He agreed with the finding that the prisoner was too psychologically damaged to help defend himself. That would be 51-year-old Ramzi bin al-Sheib. Ramzi bin al-Sheib. Yeah, dude. He was charged as an accomplice in the attacks that killed 2,976 people and is accused of helping organize a cell of hijackers in Hamburg, Germany, whose leader commandeered flight number 11 and flew it into the World Trade Center. (sighs) Should have just smoked him when you found him in Afghanistan, CIA guys, or wherever you found them. Okay, let's do some... uh Let's do some good audio clips. What do I want to get to? Let's go to this one. A lot of you guys, this is going all over Instagram. The cops in Columbus, Ohio, who showed up at the house when the dad's like, hey, I think somebody's like trying to groom my child on the, on the internet. My child's 11 years old. And the cops start talking about how the 11-year-old is actually going to be maybe facing legal problems for producing child pornography. Let's hear this. uh, This is like a ring doorbell, so hopefully you can hear it. One is a female cop. Cop knock on the door. Is there a better pop than cream soda? Pop? Yeah. Mm. No. I don't know. Ice crispy Sprite. Could be, could be oh, you good. know what? I haven't been Sprite since I was like a kid. Who did you say that? Uh, yeah, the cops are bantering about soda flavors. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, you know what I do? Do you ever see that Sprite challenge? <laughs> they drink the bottle of Sprite trash for burp. Oh, yeah. Alright, here comes the dad. Hi. Hi, uh, she's in bed now. It's, it's the main house we are asleep. Well, it still happened though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, um, the whole point, I just wanted you guys to come over and talk to her. I mean, I just want her to realize what this was. I mean, reality is not much you guys probably can do about it, is it? I mean, she could probably get charged with child porn. Who, she can? Mm-hmm. She's 11 years old. She's creating it, right? She's 11 years old. Doesn't matter. She's still making porn. No, she's not. She's being manipulated by a grown ass adult on the is internet. Is she taking pictures though? You guys have a nice evening. Okay. Thank you for coming. Are you serious? Have a nice evening. And the cops walk off. Yeah, and, and the guy says he called them at 6 o'clock and they showed up at like midnight. And uh, apparently those cops were like, uh, yeah, that went, that was all over Twitter. A lot of people not too happy with the police department there. Uh, and then this one I thought you guys would enjoy. It's one of those civilian child predator stings, which I recommend you don't do because you never know how these guys are going to react. But these, these guys show up at this 68-year-old man's house, and he invites them in, and they start talking, and then the guy uh, kind of uh, starts... I just want to play a little bit of it, but it's just because I'm amazed at how calm nice these work. guys are. This is Philip. Nice to meet you, man. Uh, I got a package for you. Um, it's about some messages online to some younger ladies that we probably should go over and talk about, okay? You want to come in? Yeah, yeah. Come on in. Come on. Beautiful apartment, man. It's really nice. Yeah, so it's about some messages to some people, like on Facebook, and you Are know. Are you all the cops or what? No, no, no. We just want to talk to you, man. That's it. I've got a, I've got four friends that um, were uh, pretty closely watching all my posts. Okay. And I got in a lot of trouble with them. Got in a lot of trouble with them, and uh, I unfriended all of them. Well, do they know you in person, or? Oh yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I have what's called pedophilic disorder. 
It's a, it's a medical condition, no. but I'm not a child molester. How many times has underage porn been shown to you? You know, that again, that's that's kind of cyclic uh, with my hormones. Okay. So, so you mentioned it's, it's cyclic. So how, how often does that kind of cycle where it's underage porn, I guess, is the question? About uh, once every three months. So where, where do you where do you usually find that? Well, it would have had to been Facebook. What is the underage stuff that uh, Facebook showed you? Uh, like um, prepubescent girls. Okay. Ugh. I know you've looked up like preteen porn before all the phones and all that stuff. The site that that really uh, got me into all this was PHChat. You can it used to be really open, then they then they cut it down. They cut it really far down. Open in what way? About about uh, talking. Okay. About uh, talking about um, pedophilic uh, ideas and uh, molestation and things like that. Was it mostly centered around like your daughter and stuff? Or, or yes. I'm sorry, okay. Yes. Did you talk about your daughter like that? Yes. When did you start having sexual ideas about your daughter? That lasted for a long time, about mm -hmm. three years ago. I was texting her uh, suggestive comments, and um, she uh, cut me off and uh, won't have anything to do with me anymore. Shocking. Know, don't know anything about her anymore. Now, um, you want me to get some, um, start, a, start a contact with uh, an attorney so that all this doesn't happen again? Uh, yeah, call them right now. They're probably closed right now. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are really, uh, really tracking me down here, aren't yes, you? Yes, we are. You know everything I, I've done. Yes, and we know you. We know all about my life. Yes, correct. We know you've molested your daughter. So why... Uh, how, mu how much longer are y'all going to harass me? You know, Philip, you're lucky. Who's, you're who's, lucky. Who's, who in the hell is tracking me? You're luckier in Austin, Texas. And, you know, um, you know, I don't like this. <laughs> oh, I don't give a fuck. I really don't. You are lucky you are in Austin. Hold on. Because if you were in one county over, the cops would be here putting your fucking sorry ass in cuffs. I'm going to show you something here. Just hang on. What, is it a weapon? No, sir. All right. Dude, I would not trust that. Okay, all right. Oh, hey. Pulled out a box cutter. You want me to cut again? No, 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 no. Call the cops right now. We are. Austin 911, do you need police, fire, EMS? Someone's trying to kill themselves here at, uh, what's the address? <laughs> he's admitted to being a pedophile, and uh, we need somebody here ASAP because he's... Okay, wait, hang on, hang on. If he's sending us words, I need to get shown with EMS as well. Okay, so I'm going to stop it there. If you guys want to go... Uh, this guy's name who's doing this, um, his name is Alex Rosen, the guy who's confronting him. His uh, Instagram, his uh, Twitter account is at I Fight for Kids. If you want to go look at more, but yeah, the guy takes out a box cutter and he drags it down his wrist. It's kind of a he just nicks himself, but still, dude, I would never do that, man. I'd I would definitely be armed for sure. Okay, uh, let's do a few quick stories here. A wingsuit skydiver in France was decapitated by the aircraft's wing moments after jumping from the plane. Had over 225 jumps under his belt. That's not very many. And it was 20 seconds after jumping from the aircraft over south France, south of France, in July of 2018. Apparently, the reason this is making the news is because there is a manslaughter trial going on from the pilot, for the pilot. He's on trial for manslaughter that's taking place this week. And 40-year-old Nicholas Gailey was one of the skydivers who jumped from about 14,000 feet, a single-engine plane, and the pilot of the plane descended rapidly after the two wingsuit skydivers evacuated the aircraft and caught up with them as they glided across the sky. 
But as the plane caught up with them, the left wing hit Gailey and cut his fucking head off, dude. His body landed in a field after his emergency parachute opened. So he's been charged with manslaughter. And prosecuting attorneys says his errors led to the decapitation. He's arguing that he did not do anything wrong and that the skydiver did not follow the expected course of flight and should never have been on that course. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty bad, pretty bad mistake, yo. Uh, let's see. Oh, another. Remember, I was talking about the Eritreans and various countries fighting each other. They go, they immigrate to all these countries and then start fights. So last week, I did like three of them. One was Canada. Uh, one was in uh, Israel. I can't remember the third one. There's been another one. Now, 200 were arrested in Germany after violence at another Eritrean event. At least 26 police officers were injured. <laughs> what the fuck? Why is, dude, stop letting them in. This is like the same cult, the same country over and over again. Uh, and this is during a cultural festival organized by the supporters of Eritrean President Isaias Afwerki. Yeah, and the riot broke out. It drew condemnation from German Interior Minister Nancy Pfizer on Sunday. She said Sunday, quote, foreign conflicts must not be carried out in our country, end quote. And this was the same old shit. They began throwing stones, bottles, and other things at police officers and then at the uh, opposition. <laughs> 300 cops had to show up to this. Uh, oh, is there an update on this? Oh, in July, they had one of these also in Germany. Yeah, it was Tel Aviv earlier. And Canada, and they don't say the other country. Yeah, I would not let any Eritreans in at all. Uh, what else? Let's talk about this really quick. Russell Brand, the comedian. He's kind of morphed into like a freedom guy. Remember, he's like anti-vax. He goes on Joe Rogan. Pretty popular with conservatives, right? Well, yeah, he's being accused of sexual assault. And this uh, a woman who met the comedian on a flight alleges he made her vulnerable and intimidated with his, quote, aggressive behavior, end quote. She told Sky News that he refused to call her a taxi until she performed a sex act on him. And now a bunch of uh, allegations are coming out against this guy. And this girl, Sarah, that's her, uh, it's not her real name, yeah, they met him on. A, she met him on a flight. He invited her for breakfast and a walk after the flight, and she agreed to travel in his limousine. And said once he got in a limousine with her, he kind of jumped on her. And they said they drove to his house where they had consensual sex. Then she went on to say, "Quote: I mean, it was consensual. I didn't say no, but I feel like there's a fine line between forced and being coerced. You know, like being in a situation where the only way out is just to get it over and done with and leave." End quote. Yeah, uh, so this has been all kinds of fallout because he's kind of created a very high profile for himself. So now the big controversy is YouTube has blocked Russell Brand from monetizing account his account. He's got over 6 million followers on his account, but his channel will be ineligible for income from advertising. That's how they make money. People make money with their YouTube channels. And uh, it's not just the one woman. It's several women. 
and it's a significant source of income for Brand. A spokesman for YouTube said that he was suspended for violating YouTube's, quote, creator responsibility and policy, end quote. And this is kind of insignificant because, one, this is something that did not happen on YouTube. He has not been arrested. He has not been charged. And I do not believe he has even, there's even been a lawsuit filed against him. But this is more like, and a lot of people are thinking, well, they're going after him because he's, you know, kind of uh, aligning himself more with conservatives now. Now, I don't know that. but the, And he's also on Rumble, the alternative to YouTube. And now companies are pulling ads from Rumble over Russell Brand just being on there. Yeah, Burger King, HelloFresh, some of those two, they've removed their ab- ads from Rumble in, in protest from this. It's 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 kind of odd because again he hasn't been served with any papers. He's just been accused of this shit. After a joint investigation by the uh, Sky News, Sunday Times, these are all UK outlets, and yeah, dude, they think he made twenty seven thousand British pounds a month from his Rumble channel and one million British pounds a year from YouTube before he was uh, suspended. And yeah, it's just alarming because again, this none of this took place on the on the channel on this on the platform, and he hasn't been charged, arrested, filed suit against anything. Well, he did speak out about it. And he said he's accusing the British government of trying to censor him. So I am going to play Russell Brand. These were his first comments about the incident. Let's listen to Hello Russell there, Brand. Hello there, you awakening wonders. Obviously, it's been an extraordinary and distressing week. And I thank you very much for your support and for questioning the information that you've been presented with. By now, you're probably aware that the British government have asked big tech platforms to censor our online content and that some online platforms have complied with that request. What you may not know is that this happens in the context of the Online Safety Bill, which is a piece of UK legislation that grants sweeping surveillance and censorship powers, and it's a law that has already been passed. I also don't imagine you've heard of the Trusted News Initiative. Now, as is often the case when a word like trusted is used as part of an acronym to describe an unelected body, trust is the last thing you should be offering. The Trusted News Initiative is a collaboration between big tech and legacy media organisations to target, control, choke and shut down independent media organisations like this one. We'll be talking about that on our show on Monday on Rumble. But just to give you an idea of what the TNI is, this is a quote from one of their spokespeople. Because the actual real rivalry now is not between the BBC and CNN globally, it's actually between all trusted news providers and digital platforms. It's clear that these organisations collaborate in constructing narratives, whether that's around the war or the pandemic. And of course, there are other examples. And it's very clear to me that we have to be very, very cautious indeed. That's why I'm asking you to follow me on Rumble. Rumble have made a clear commitment to free speech, and Rumble is the primary platform that we will be streaming from. We'll be back this Monday, and as usual, 
we'll be talking about deep state and corporate collusion and how ordinary democracy is anathema now, how it's shut down, ignored and avoided. We'll be talking about a military industrial complex that is able to facilitate and start wars that seem sometimes to be little more than money laundering operations. And that's with all respect to the hundreds of thousands of victims of the numerous ongoing wars in the world at the moment. We'll be talking about the role of Big Pharma and how Big Pharma have been able to influence government policy around the world and how they've been able to evade due liability and necessary scrutiny, how they've been able to avoid media investigation that perhaps ought be due them. And of course, we'll be talking about media corruption and censorship. So All right, you guys get the idea. So he's saying he's basically being attacked for his views on this, and it's about the the media laws and all this stuff. Now, I figured in fairness, that's his side. I will say he talks with his hands way too much. Like virtually that entire video, both of his hands were like up in front of his face, and he's gesturing with both of them. Like the whole time. Like that's fine. Don't do it the whole time, bro. Mm. So I've got this other clip by a chick and she's like a journalist an English chick and she's claiming that this is a long time coming so let's hear what she thinks about Russell Brand. I want to say about this Russell Brand in plain sight Channel 4 dispatches documentary. The first is if you don't think that Russell Brand has been waiting for this day to arrive since Me Too started you are beyond help my friend of course he's known since Me Too started, that there are women out there who have stuff on him and that it's only a matter of time before they come forward and expose him for what he is. He's not an idiot. He has known that this day was coming. And so he's had the incentive over the last few years to cultivate a following of people who distrust the media, who think that the media are out to get Russell Brand and that they'll do anything that they can to do that. And that's what he's been doing since Me Too started. That's the only way that he avoids being cancelled. That's the only way that this guy with the God complex stays relevant. Is if he cultivates this following of people who will disbelieve anything the media put out about him because they don't trust the media. He has everything to gain from doing that. And that's exactly what he's done successfully. And the second thing that I want to say about this is... These women have come forward with their evidence and they've kept their identities hidden. And it's really easy to presume that the reason that they've kept their identities hidden is because they're afraid of Russell Brand. And I would not blame them for that. They have no doubt seen what happens to women who come forward and make accusations against men like Russell Brand. Their entire lives are ripped apart. These women could have families now. We know that at least one of them, Alice, who started a relationship with Brand when she was 16 and can see that now for what it was, grooming, is working in television. And we don't know in what capacity she's working in television. She could be behind the scenes. But All right, so so you, you heard what she said. Um, you know, I, I'm sure Russell Brand was fucking handsy. He was a fucking huge movie star at one point. He was definitely way, he was very big in the UK, much more so than here. But he still had, he was in, you know, he was in a lot of American movies. So I don't know what happened. But the thing is, like, again, I'll say, if, I'll say, if I believe a girl far more when she, if she, if you're really sexually assaulted, you go to the cops, right? Don't you? Like right afterwards. And I know maybe a 16 year old, maybe that's a little bit different. But in the vast majority of cases, that's what I just don't understand. And maybe, hey, I'm feeling free to admit that 
I'm ignorant on how a woman would feel in that situation. Uh, stunned, shocked, etc. But at the same time, I see, I do stories all the time where a woman is like raped or molested and she goes right to the cops, like right away. Like, you know, so I'm, so I'm asking like, so you accuse somebody years later, but you're not filing a lawsuit and you're not pressing charges. Uh, so what's the point? So I, I don't know. You guys tell me, you figure it out. Uh, that's that's a Russell Brand update. Uh, let's keep going here. Let's talk about the F-35. Um, you guys all know the story by now, so I'm really not going to get into the actual story. Supposedly, this, you know, the, the $100 million F-35 Bravo crashed into rural South Carolina. And now there's a new government watchdog report highlighting ongoing maintenance delays. And it turns out that F-35 jets are only mission-capable half the time, 55% to be exact. The goal is 85 to 90% of the time. The F-35 program is led by Lockheed Martin, and it is one of the Defense Department's most expensive program. It has cost taxpayers $1.7 trillion since it has been implemented. Much of that, $1.3 million, is the cost of maintaining and operating the fighter jets. So um, just pretty pretty fascinating that it just happened to come out at the same time. As far as what happened to the plane, yeah, supposedly there was some sort of automated sequence. We still don't know all the answers. Everything I heard was kind of weird. Like the pilot, was, it was like bad weather, and they felt like they couldn't see anything around them, so they were forced to eject, and then the plane kept going in a certain mode. I mean, we're lucky that plane didn't come down in, like, a city. Very lucky. It crashed somewhere in, you know, middle of nowhere. Uh, John Kirby, again. They're asking him, how do you lose a plane? About the F-35, how does the U.S. military lose a $100 million plane? That will be something that they will investigate. Uh, believe me, after every aviation mishap, the Pentagon does what the Pentagon does. They'll investigate it to try to get the answers on what happened. Um, and uh, they'll also, I'm sure, look at their own search and recovery efforts of the aircraft itself to see um, whether that was conducted uh, in, uh, uh, in all the appropriate ways. They'll, they'll, they'll investigate this. And as the Defense Department always does, they'll be transparent about it when they, when they find the answers. I'm sure they will. Uh, yeah, so I heard all kinds of rumors. Like, at first, was like, was this plane hacked and all that? We really just don't know until we get the full report. Uh, let me see. How much time do I have left here? Uh, pretty good. Let's go talk about the gas. Yep, it's back up again. And I swear to God, dude, this is like the oldest trick in the book. They The prices go high, right? And then they come down like a little bit. And you guys are so used to the high price. You think that coming down a little bit is fine. So you stop talking about it. And now prices are back up. They are at their gas prices are at their highest level in 11 months, dude. The national average for unleaded gasoline was $3.88 per gallon. That's hilarious because <laughs> I paid on base yesterday $5.69 a gallon. That's some of the cheapest gas you can get on base. Right across the street was an Arco, which is usually the cheap on the cheaper end. That was $6.09 a gallon, and I saw a Shell station nearby, and Shell is usually on the higher end, and that was six sixty nine a gallon. In Los Angeles, some places, it's already over 7 
Now, the peak was in June of 2022. I said 388 on national average, 388 per gallon. In June of 22, the average briefly went above $5 a gallon. The price of a gallon of gas has risen about 20% since the start of the year and more than 8% just since June 1st. It's ridiculous. In California, gas has climbed more than 10% in just the last month. And I'm so tired of these hacks who are like, oh, it's the oil companies. You know, the politicians in California, that's all they do. It's the oil companies. They're greedy. I'm like, that may be true, but why aren't they as greedy in Florida? Florida gas is like, you know, three bucks. It's like three bucks cheaper. How is that possible? Why aren't they greedy in Florida as well as California? Uh, supposedly, I read a separate article. Again, we have like refinery issues or some bullshit like that. We don't, we need more refineries and they refuse to build them because they're all in the thrall of these anti-fossil fuel lunatics who think there's no, you cannot build. They don't want anything built. You understand the, the, the zealotry of these people. They do not want any more drilling. They don't want fossil fuel infrastructure, no refineries, no mines, nothing. And they think we're going to continue as a Western society. How exactly? They're like children. These people are like little kids. They make all these demands and you say, well, that will be the collapse of the American economy if we do what you say. And they stick their fingers in the ears and they go, nah, 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 I'm not listening. No more fossil fuels. That's all they do. And for some reason, just politicians are completely in th- just beholden to them. And I, I just don't get it. Uh, yeah, here we go. The recent jump in prices in California which accounts for one-tenth of U.S. gasoline consumption, by the way, is partly a result of the maintenance of refineries. And then we have that stupid, unique blend here that we can't get from anywhere else but here. So we can't, like, import gas from, like, say, Oregon. The gas, gas here is more expensive than Hawaii. At least four refineries in California have had problems in the last few weeks that have led to interruptions in service. I mean, what would you, how would you guys combat that as a, as a person with a brain? Build another refinery, right? I know. Just like the prison problem. Oh, we have too many prisoners. I know. What would you do? Well, I'd build another prison. That's what I would do. And so in something that's not going to help at all, California is now suing oil companies. (laughs) I swear to God. They claim that their actions have caused tens of billions of dollars in damage and that they deceived the public by downplaying the risks posed by fossil fuels. This is what our fucking state is doing. The civil case was filed in Superior Court in San Francisco. And guess what they want? Money. Yes. It seeks creation of an abatement fund to pay for future damages caused by climate-related disasters in the state. They're targeting five countries. Five countries. Five companies. ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, ConocoPhillips, and Chevron. This is so stupid. Um... Let me see. Let me scroll down here. Any more details on this? The general counsel of the American Petroleum Institute said, uh, yep, this is uh, an ongoing coordinated campaign to wage wage meritless politicized lawsuits against a foundational American industry and its workers. Yes, yeah, state attorney general Rob Bonta, that clown, he wants to be governor one day. And all this is going to do is bring up the price of gas even more because you think they're just going to pay it out of their own pockets? No, obviously they're not. I have a clip of Gavin Newsom here. 
suing the oil companies. Let's hear from the guy who wants to be president. Against the five oil giants for misleading the public on fossil fuels. The American Petroleum Institute already is pushing back, calling it meritless, politicized, and a waste of California taxpayer resources. What do you say to that? They should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, They're one of the people we named in the lawsuit. They've been lying to people. They've been playing you and everybody watching us like fools. They've had information that none of us were privy to. In fact, in the creation of this lawsuit, uh, in the production of this lawsuit, I realized how ignorant I was on the issue. Back in the 50s, they had fundamental data and information that was not shared with the American people. They knowingly misled people. They deceived people. As a consequence, we didn't take the kind of actions we would have taken to hold these big polluters accountable. And right now, we're dealing with the consequences of it. As we convene here with the United Nations and Climate Week in New York City, we broke 10,000 records around the world. The climate is in deep distress. Ask the folks out in California. Every single one of them, Democrats and Republicans, would agree. They may not agree on global warming, climate science, but their own eyes, their lived experience. The oil companies... Okay, I, I'm glad it goes it goes on from there. But I'm actually glad he brought that up. I didn't think he was going to say that. And I'm glad he did, if I can find the story. I, I mistakenly did not put the story I wanted next to that. However, as I talk slowly to delay for time, uh, here's the story. I just found it. You heard Gavin Newsom ask some people out in California, right? Well, guess what? According to the New York Times headline, the summer of 2023 was California's coolest in more than a decade. Okay. Is that climate change too then? And I I knew this. Like August and September are usually brutally hot here. And it's a nice day today. But most of the time, especially in September, most of the time it's very sunny and hot. Like it's like we call it local summer because all the tourists have gone home. Because September is like so nice and sunny and hot. It's been like raining and drizzly and overcast. But yeah, um, scientists did announce last week that June, July, and August this year were the warmest on record globally. Again, our records only go back 150 some years. But it didn't come to California. Overall, the Golden State actually enjoyed their coolest summer since 2011, according to a researcher with the Western Regional Climate Center. The northern third of California was warmer than usual because of a high-pressure system over the Pacific Northwest, but southern California experienced below-normal temperatures from low-pressure systems over the region throughout the summer and from the cooling effect of Hurricane Hillary. Remember that dud? And here we go. Much of southern California was also uncharacteristically cloudy this summer with ordinarily sunny places like San Diego experienced prolonged bouts of overcast skies. That's right. Okay. So, but again, that's why they, it's climate change. Everything's climate change. Too hot, climate change. Too cold, climate change also. I have another one from stupid Gavin Newsom. Where is it? Oh, a couple, uh, he vetoed a few bills. Remember the big scandal? This was kind of making the waves. That bill that involved parents who had to affirm their child's gender identity in custody cases that was going all around. That bill would have required judges to consider whether a parent accepted their transgender child's gender identity in weighing whether to award the child, you know what I mean, to father or mother, right? That's what it would have required. Well, that was Assembly Bill 957. Gavin Newsom yesterday, Friday, vetoed that bill. 
on a yeah, and lawmakers passed it on a party line vote. All the Republicans voted against it. And uh, this is why Gavin Newsom, he wants to be president. There's no way he's fucking signing this bill. Absolutely not. I told you this months ago with some of these bills and because everybody's like, wow, even Gavin Newsom. I'm like, because he wants to run for president and he knows Ron DeSantis or whoever is going to beat him over the head with all these big lib bills that our wacko far left wing legislature sends him. Uh, he tried to justify it by saying the bill's approach could use to diminish the civil rights of vulnerable communities. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and then he vetoed another one, too. Um, this was a weird one. There was a bill that would have banned robo-trucks without safety drivers. You know, those driverless truck technology? Apparently, they had a bill. Like it was passed in the legislature um, that would have prevented heavy-duty driverless trucks from operating in the state. This bill... Assembly Bill 316 would require a trained human driver to be present in autonomous vehicles weighing over 10,000 pounds. It was passed by a heavy majority in both houses, and Gavin Newsom uh, vetoed that bill. Yeah, like, uh, in other words, he's allowing the uh, robo-trucks without a driver. So I, don't, I don't know what he's thinking with that. Is there any justification on that one? I don't know. That would seem common sense, dude. Would you want a fucking semi hauling tens of thousands of pounds with no driver? Yeah, and then you also heard Gavin Newsom. He was at the uh, he was at the United Nations. He he had to go show his fucking mug over there with Biden and all them. Here he is. A lot more clear. This climate crisis is a fossil fuel crisis. This climate crisis persists. How'd you get there? It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's the burning of oil. It's the burning of gas. It's the burning of coal. And we need to call that out. For decades and decades, the oil industry has been playing each and every one of us in this room for fools. They've been buying off politicians. They've been denying and delaying science and fundamental information that they were privy to that they didn't share or they manipulated. Their deceit and denial going back decades has created the conditions that persist here today. Okay, Gavin, how did you get to the how did you get to the isn't that in New York City, Gavin? How did you get there? Did you take an electric car, which have her own problems, but did you drive an electric car for five days across the US? I fucking doubt it, dude. And how did everybody else get there from all those countries? Did they take a sailboat, Gavin? No, they didn't. They all flew first class, business class, in fossil fuel guzzling jetliners. Because that's what we do as a modern society. Oh, this was a pleasant update for once. Uh, you guys remember me? I talked about this extensively at the time. Do you remember Billy Chermier? Chemier. I always have a hard time with his name. C-H-E-M-I-R-M-I-R. That was the guy who was accused of killing 22 people, mostly elderly women. Yeah, it was like in, um, yeah, he was convicted in Texas in 2022, and he was given two life sentences. He was, and, and the two life sentences were for the 2018 murders of two women. Well, he was, he was ID'd as probably the perp in nearly two dozen other deaths, but he was never convicted. Prosecutors claim that he would um, 
go to senior living centers and smother the old folks with pillows and steal their shit, all that stuff. And most of the attacks were initially put down to natural causes, but one woman survived, and that's how he got caught. Well, he has been murdered by his cellmate on Tuesday morning. So great. <laughs> so justice was served. Sometimes justice happens in strange ways. So that's a, a very good update for once. Uh, did you see the influencer on the plane who announced that she was, in fact, an influencer? This is funny. She's pretty hot. I gotta, And she's wearing like this bodysuit that's quite form-fitting. Uh, but you can hear her on this plane, getting off a plane, getting into it with people. Nothing wrong. No, you shut the fuck up. You shut the fuck up in here, bitch. You shut the fuck up. Film me. I'm Instagram famous, you fucking bum. I'm Instagram famous. I actually looked her up. Uh, she does have like a million followers, so I suppose, yes, she is Instagram famous still. Kind of a weird thing to say. Hmm. A 19-year-old died after a concrete mixer he was inside cleaning was accidentally started up. Ugh. Fatal injuries, dude. This was in March. Two workers at a site in northwest Florida climbed inside the mixer to clean it by chipping away hardened concrete using a hammer and chisel. As one of the workers left the mixer, the machine restarted with the other one inside. Ugh. And the uh, Department of Labor is going after the company, the Georgia-based Foley Products Company, with proposed penalties totaling $245,000, $546. Two forty-five, five forty-six, and they called this a preventable tragedy. Um, they didn't really, yeah, they don't really go specify. But I just saw the headline. I'm like, oh god, that sucks, dude. Uh, let's see. Uh, let me go. I want to get some more audio going on. I know I'm leaning heavily on the audio this week, guys. Um, let's do this news report because I thought it was kind of funny. Again, a little bit long. It's got a little bit of a buildup. Um, but actually, no, this is a different video. I think it'll still be good, though. So in uh, Palm Springs, they came up with a AIDS memorial sculpture. I'm pretty sure this is in Palm Springs. And the thing is, though, the uh, memorial sculpture is kind of in a weird shape, if you will. And a lot of people are not too happy with it. Let's listen to News Channel 3 about the ongoing debate. You're Let's see. About raise, uh, being raised about an AIDS memorial planned for downtown Palm Springs. Right now, the sculpture is planned to look like this. These pictures you're seeing here, some people don't like it. News Channel 3's Jake Grassi live in studio with more on the controversy and possible changes in response to those concerns. Jake. And John, it is a nine-foot sculpture plan for a Palm Springs park meant to remember lives lost to HIV and AIDS. But the design doesn't resonate with everyone. In fact, some call it inappropriate. And the committee in charge says they are now listening. It's the proposed AIDS memorial sculpture, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars in the community and stirring up controversy over its shape. The round limestone statue with concentric carved circles meant to represent the diverse community impacted by AIDS. It's eye level opening, signifying connection, reflection and hope. 
but it's not seen by everyone that way. Some saying it's too abstract. It's really strained. I mean, it's, this is almost like a piece of art looking for a purpose instead of the other way around. It could be about anything, and as a consequence, it's kind of about nothing. There's also the view that it too closely resembles other things. You hear it called the donut all the time. Um, you hear it called the word you can't say on camera all the time. For some on social media and beyond, the design resembles an inappropriate body part on the rear end. <laughs> the backside of the proposed memorial looks like um, a graphic depiction of the backside of human being. The memorial is privately raising funding <laughs> to put it up at a nine-foot-tall scale in the downtown park near the Maryland statue. It's expected price tag in the range of $500,000. The concern? That it could become the butt of a joke. I can just visualize the whole slew of potential social media posts making fun of something that is so important to our community. In a letter to community members, the AIDS Memorial Task Force writing it is incorporating feedback they've received and working through the design revision process. But questions persist about why the community wasn't included sooner. I don't remember ever seeing any outreach over the last couple of years. All right, so that's the report. And let me just cut to the chase. What they're trying to desperately avoid saying is that it looks like a puckered asshole is what this, especially when you look at it from one end. And yeah, he's exactly right, that guy. Everybody is going to come and take pictures, and this is supposed to be an AIDS memorial, you know, remembering people who died of a horrific disease, and everybody's going to come take pictures for social media, like, look at me standing next to the fucking giant balloon knot. And it does look like it, especially on one side. The second side, it looks more like a robot anus, but on the back side, it definitely looks like a... I mean, it's even it's it's even like puckered. I shit you not. Go Google the Palm Springs AIDS Memorial. See exactly what I'm talking about. Too funny, man. All right. What is this one? Two people were killed after a charter bus full of high school students went down a ravine in upstate New York. That was a sad story. Killed two people and hurt six. It was a 50-foot ravine, and the marching band director, Gina Pelletieri, 43, and retired history teacher Beatrice Ferrari, 77, were both killed in the crash, dude. Damn, Pelletieri played 20 instruments? It's impressive. Uh, did you see the ambush of the Los Angeles Sheriff's deputy? It was very, very... This guy, you can find it on uh, Twitter. This guy is just sitting in his car at like a light, and some psycho rolls up and just starts shooting at him. That was Kevin, I'm sorry, Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer was sitting in a patrol car. And then Kevin Cataneo Salazar fucking just rolled up and started smoking him, dude. It was in Palmdale, uh, North Los Angeles County. Salazar's 29. He's been Charged with one count of murder plus special circumstances alleging murder of a peace officer, murder committed by lying in wait, murder committed by firing from a car, and personal use of a firearm. He's pleading fucking not guilty by reason of insanity. You believe this shit? They haven't laid out a motive yet, said whether the deputy and this guy knew each other. Uh, and then his stupid parents came out and said, well, my son has uh, you know mental problems. Okay, well, that's your fucking problem. And if he has mental problems... Why was there a dozen guns in the house? Yeah, here you go. Oh, my son was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic about five years ago. Well, we don't care, dude. Oh, that was Marley Salazar, his mom. 
She told the LA Times that she didn't know her son owned a gun. She was told by detectives that he had legally bought the weapon used in the attack. Well, how can it have been legally bought if he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic? It's unclear, according to AP, whether Salazar would have qualified under the state's red flag law or other statutes designed to keep guns out of the hands of people with mental illness. And there were no L.A. County court records indicating that someone had petitioned to seize his weapons or prevent him from buying them. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just too, there's too many. It, you cannot possibly track all this shit. <laughs> let's, let's see this one. Where is Morris County? Uh, New Jersey. Oh, this is not a good headline for New Jersey. A Morris County fire chief has been arrested after being caught pleasuring himself in a public parking lot on Tuesday. 55-year-old Joseph Campano has been charged with lewdness. Uh, God, this is in the middle of the day, dude. At approximately 11.48 a.m., patrols were dispatched to the ShopRite parking lot for a report of a male masturbating in his vehicle. Uh, a woman informed investigators she was walking back to her car with her groceries when she noticed a maroon Ford Explorer parked next to her with its brake lights flashing on and off? <laughs> Bro, take your foot off the brake. And she was uh, unloading her stuff. She spotted a man uncovered while masturbating. Oh, no. She said that when she went on to make eye contact with Campano, he started masturbating more furiously. And tried to hide behind the driver's door post, although he would occasionally peek at her. She called 911. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, she dialed 911. Campano apparently saw. He took off. And they found his car in a neighborhood business. And he informed officers that he went to ShopRite for lunch and he ate it while parked in the lot. Oh, I love the excuses, you guys. I love the excuses. Campano denied the allegations, stating he had a tray of watermelon on his lap and was eating it with a fork, suggesting that may have been the masturbation motion the complainant observed. However, patrols on the scene said they did not see any watermelon or watermelon container in the vehicle. Oh, and then they got video surveillance. It showed his Red Ford Explorer entering the parking lot and parking in numerous positions for a brief amount of time before finally staying in a spot next to the woman's vehicle. Okay, so maybe he was like looking for a chick to jack it to. And he was moving around. He sees one going in the store, and he's like, ah, I didn't finish yet, though. So he goes to another one because he sees another chick. Oh, and by the way, he said he went into the shop right to get the watermelon and, and get his lunch. Well, he did not. He, the surveillance footage counter, counteracted that. He eventually did admit it. Like, bro, just rub one out in the morning when you get up, dude. Uh, quick headlines. Uh, there's the, the there's this cool story about the world's oldest living aquarium fish. You know what it is? Uh, it is he has been named Methuselah, and it's a nonagenarian lungfish which has lived in a tank in the Golden Gate Park in San Francisco since 1938. That is believed to be the world's oldest fish in human care, and it is a female. 
quite the celebrity. Everybody goes and sees her, and uh, she eats food out of people's hands. That's pretty cool. Good for you. Keep it up. Uh, and then there was... What's the other one I wanted to do that I had? Um, let me see here. Sorry, guys. I'm, I just had another one kind of in that same realm. Oh, here it is. It was a, it was an archaeology thing. They found an ancient arrow among other artifacts because Norway's, some of their glacial ice is melting. And yeah, they found a 300-foot arrow. I'm looking at a picture of it. It's unbelievable. It looks like a movie prop. That's how in good condition it is. It's not just the arrowhead. It's the whole arrow, like all the wood and everything. And yeah, and it's it has feathers on it. And yeah, it's so well-preserved. It looks like it could have been just lost recently. But um, the guy who found it was happened to be a glacial archaeologist. And he said, yeah, this is old. So they think it belonged to a reindeer hunter in the late Stone Age or early Bronze Age. But this is some of the shit they're finding as the uh, ice melts through some of these previously covered areas. So that's pretty cool. Uh, not even going to get the stupid government shutdown, you guys. I, I can't do it. Because uh, the same shit's going to happen. They'll all fucking get some concessions. And at the last hour, the 11th hour, they'll pass the bill of the bloated government and everything will be funded again. So I just, I can't take it anymore. The Senate has confirmed Army and Marine chiefs. They confirmed General Randy George of the Army and General Eric Smith of the Marines as the chief of staff of their respective services. That followed the confirmation on Wednesday night of General Charles Q. Brown Jr. to serve as the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yeah, that's that lunatic Air Force General, Brown. He's the guy who came out and says, well, I want to reduce, uh, I want to reduce white male pilots by like a third, if not more, across the board, which cannot be done. <laughs> he's, he's a, he is a fucking whack job for the DE, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So just watch. It's only going to get worse. What else? This was a... Dude. A Lancaster County woman, that's Pennsylvania, forced two juvenile cousins to have sex while she watched. Kelly J. Groff, 41 years old, has been charged with multiple felonies. This occurred when the victims were between the ages of three and five. How do they even do that? She's being charged with rape of a child, statuary sexual assault, involuntary deviate sexual intercourse of the child, Sexual assault, corruption of minors, unlawful contact with a minor, endangering the welfare of children, indecent exposure, and indecent assault of a person less than 13 years of age. Good God. They began in 2011, these acts, when both of the victims were about three years old. Headline says between the ages of three and five. And uh, apparently one of the kids came forward. Police began investigating in 2019 when the female victim, then 11 years old, came forward to report the allegations. Yeah, dude. I don't know how... I don't know how she knew this, th these, these kids, but they did know this chick. They knew it was Kelly, and the suspect said... Uh, the victim said that the suspect would force her and her cousin to remove her clothes and perform sex acts and touch one another inappropriately. And she would stand there and watch. And she would also touch the victim's genitals. And police interviewed the male victim in 2021. He corroborated the other's testimony. He stated that Groff would force him and his cousin to engage in sex acts, including intercourse. Well, how does, how do like 
two four-year-olds even do that. And then Groff had sex with the male victim to show him what to do. Gross. It's so it's so weird. Whenever a female is involved in these things, it just blows my mind. Very strange. Oh, for one for you, January six people. The uh, that guy Ray Epps. He was at the center of a lot of conspiracy theories. He was supposed to be a Fed or something like that. He has pleaded guilty to a January sixth misdemeanor. Uh, prosecutor said he had never worked as an agent of the federal government because there was this right-wing theory going around that he helped instigate the Capitol riot, right? And it was a 20-minute plea hearing. He could face, he will face a maximum of one year in prison. Now, I'm, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat for a moment because as, as I usually make fun of all the January 6th people, but I will say... He did breach barricades outside the Capitol. He did egg people on saying, we got to get to the Capitol. You guys have all seen the videos by now. And he placed his hands on a giant Trump sign that the mob used as a battering ram against the police. So he helped, if you're, he helped batter the police, right? So he's only getting a maximum of one year in prison when some of these other guys who were just walking through the Capitol and trespassing and taking shit, they were getting like a couple of years. So if you want a conspiracy... That's a conspiracy. Why did he get such a light sentence and was able to plead down to a misdemeanor? We'll see. He's supposed to be sentenced in December. So we'll see what they give him. Uh, Yeah, he was captured on video the night before the riot, encouraging people to go into the Capitol. He was also seen on January 6th pointing others towards the building and then entering a restricted area of the Capitol grounds. Hmm. Yeah, but the big thing was like, oh, he's a he's a he's a Fed or he's on the Fed's payroll. They've denied that many many times. So I don't know. The Temple University president became ill on stage at a memorial service and then died. Yeah, Joanne Epps. She was uh, taken to a hospital after becoming ill. It's just I don't know. Did she keel over or what? They did not share the cause of death. She was attending a memorial service for a historian and curator. And, um, yeah, there is footage of it. It showed a choir singing behind a row of chairs that had been set up on stage. Epps appeared to slump in her chair as papers she was holding in her lap fell to the floor. Uh, yeah, dude, she didn't make it. Let's see here. Uh, did I, I can't remember if I talked about this or not. I thought I might have brought it up, but uh, this former NFL player, Sergio Brown, He's missing. And this is the guy, they found his mom dead in a creek behind her home. And they went looking to talk to him, and they couldn't find him. But he, as of yesterday, he started yesterday posting stuff on Instagram. It wasn't any, it was just rambling shit. I didn't have time to play it. But they think now he's in Mexico because the mom, Myrtle Brown, was found dead less than 100 yards away, and her death was ruled a homicide. And her um, officers found injuries resulting from an assault. And in this post, a man identified as Brown, this Instagram post, claimed he was kidnapped by the FBI and that his mother was on vacation. So they think that he is somewhere in Mexico. But they still haven't caught up to him. Very, very weird story. And let's see, just last couple headlines. The Senate dress code. Oh, my God. You see they changed the Senate dress code just to accommodate that fucking moron 
John Fetterman. It's so embarrassing, dude. How I'm looking at a picture of this slob right now with his hoodie. Like he dresses like a child. And remember, this guy was like a bum. Another bum. He like lived off his parents until he was like in his 40s. And he was very privileged. He was like, a, he went to an elite school. And now his brain doesn't work because he got super sick. And it's, uh, and to accommodate this oaf, they changed all the rules of the Senate saying, nah, you can wear whatever you want. So I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for some people to come out and like, you know, one who's Susan Collins, another Senator. She's very old. She said she threatened to like wear a bikini on the house floor. That would be very cool. I highly recommend that. And guys, let's go to the big finish. Cause that's all the time I got and go over to the UK. And here's the headline, creepy businessman broke into friend's home and performed a sex act in her underwear drawer. Mm. Yes, his name is Ashley Watling. Yes, it is Ashley. And he had been longtime friends with the victim and her husband before this happened, right? Um, yeah, he, uh, he actually had a successful business, but then he lost much of his money on guess what? Cryptocurrency. Somehow he got a hold of a key to let himself into the victim's home twice, as a matter of fact. And the second time he entered into the home on June 15th of last year, this is in the news cause it's going through the trial. The 44 year old was caught by the woman and he made some kind of excuses while he was there. Well, she was suspicious. She investigated. Great sentence here. She found that some of her underwear had been spoiled. Ew! Gross, dude. And then she secretly recorded him actually admitting what he had done. Is there more detail in this one? Yeah, dude. He... Uh, He's been jailed for 30 months. That's why the um, that's why it's in the news because he has been sentenced 30 months. That's not too bad. But yeah, they've been long-term friends and um, yeah, they, they they got home after taking the kid to school at 9 a.m. and Watling was there standing on his stairs. He said, uh, oh no, I was just dropping uh, some clothes off and I needed to use the toilet. But she's like, what the hell are you doing in my house? So they did have some security cameras and it showed Watling entering her house and she was really concerned. And she started asking why he'd been in her home and he finally admitted he did masturbate into her underwear. Oh, oh, here we go. He had, he had gotten a hold of her husband's keys and that's how he made a key for the house. He admitted to having a fetish with underwear. <laughs> Oh no. Yes, he finished. He finished all over the drawer, dude. Oh, here's the judge. The judge weighs in. The police caller referred to fetish type behavior. The victims discussed the matter and spoke to the neighbor. She checked the drawer where she stored her underwear and at the back was soiled underwear. She knew that it could not be explained by her putting the underwear there. It was not something she did. This caused problems between her and her husband at the time. Oh, so she thought the husband jizzed into the drawer. So she confronted the husband. The husband's like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? Yeah. So she went to confront uh, Ashley 
And she's like, hey, I'm either going to go get a DNA test or you're going to admit what you've done. And then he, he fucking came clean on it. <laughs> Gross. Dude. Total fuck. And he knew them for years. So how many times do you think he pleasured himself inside his own house? Guys, that's a big finish. And I'm covered in sweat and gore. Jesus. Two and a half hours, no breaks, no editing. Unbelievable. I persevere through adversity. That's what we always do. I hope you guys go on Patreon and consider making a donation. Help keep the podcast going. Patreon.com. Type in BK Actual in the search bar. And through your contributions, that the way I can stay advertising free and do all the spend all the time it takes to put together a good podcast for you guys. And I really hope you enjoy it. Please consider doing that as it helps me just get better and better. I got some new equipment coming down the line and other things. So again, patreon.com, BK Actual. As far as social media, hit that Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual. Instagram, at BK Actual. Guys, that's all I got. I'll see you next week.